Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about the Coconut Grove fire. And I'll be talking about the Ken and Barbie killers. Or will you? <gasps> will I? I know! <laughs> Brandy, why won't you be telling us Because I this? brought Casey to do it! Hello, Hi, Casey! Guys. <laughs> yeah. Now, who's Casey? Casey's my sister, oh, who we've weird. talked about eight million times on this podcast. I'm pretty sure I've been mentioned before. Yeah. No, so, um, so Casey... Uh, amazing sister that she is was like I'm gonna write a case up for you so that one week you can take a week off you know because you right. have your hands full with London and whatever and you can just present the case that I write for you and I said I said no if you're gonna write the case you have to come on and do it the so real is. story is that I've been telling her to do this case since <laughs> mm-hmm. the podcast started true. and I figured if it was gonna get done I was gonna have to do it yeah so. Casey and I texted this week and she was like I've been telling her about this and I was like yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> She's so tiring, that Brandy, I tell you. Um, no, we've got to talk about something. What do we want to talk about? Well, the fact that right now on our Patreon, there is a video of us reading my elementary school diary. Well, we didn't read it. You read it, and I watched in horror. <laughs> was it's your favorite very part? interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Casey just got to get a sneak peek of it, too. <laughs> Um, yeah, so folks, that's available at the $7 level on our Patreon. Uh, also at that level, you get a bonus episode every month. You get into the Discord, which is like a 90s chat room. You get a sticker. You get our card with our lovely autographs. And at the $10 level, you get all that plus ad-free episodes a day early. That's, um, that's a whole lot of stuff. Okay, for could a you low, try low price. not to sound so bored? <laughs> I'm, no, I'm in awe of how much oh, stuff yeah. you get. I'm so in awe that I took a nap and now I'm, <laughs> I'm awake and I'm like, wow, the savings, <laughs> the deals. <laughs> so many deals. What else you want to talk about? Um, we don't have ads this week. Well, I don't think we should talk about that. Yeah, so I guess um, <laughs> nobody sign up at the $10 level this week. Don't say that! <laughs> you still get the episode a day early? Yeah. That's right, that's right, that's damn right. it. Hi. Sign up, sign yeah. up. Sign up. Th- thank you, Casey. I've signed up. Promoting. No they- discounts for family. That we don't. Uh, yeah, no no discounts for family. <laughs> when my sister was on, she was, yeah. She had to confirm that we, yes, we, we no do discounts. not get family discounts. <laughs> we are assholes to everybody. That's exactly Family right. included. <laughs> You guys ever heard of the Coconut Grove fire? Um, you misspelled coconut. I did not misspell it. That's how they spelled it, Brandy. We've been over this. Man, there's nothing like Brandy when she thinks she gets to correct somebody. I, oh, she my like, face oh, lit up yeah. when I saw that in there. Misspelled. Folks, she was juicing. And oh, I God! Had to- <laughs> Juicy. That's weird. Yep, that's weird. Well, if, it was weird when it happened, and <laughs> <laughs> and here I am calling you out. No, I've been uh, I've been covering a lot of the disasters lately. Mm-hmm. You have? Is this a disaster? Well, I yeah, 
It's a fire. <laughs> it's oh, not a good Lord, thing. It's, a fire. <laughs> it's not a good thing, Brandy. Well, I mean, I don't know what coconut grove is. You, I don't know what how that big is of a fire is it. Oh, is it okay. just a fire in some trees? Mm-hmm. Okay, both of you need to keep your pants on, <laughs> and I'll get started right away. Weird how we both came in here and took our pants. <laughs> well, your sisters. I don't know if that was a I weird family. This is what Brandy does every week. It's what I'm supposed to do too. <laughs> Okay, so this is another case from Adam and Connor, who um, gave us all the Boston recommendations. This happens in Boston. Very good, Brandy. <laughs> Are there coconuts in Boston? Uh, yeah, Boston? Boston? <laughs> yeah, Boston. That's its new name. I changed yeah. it. <laughs> um, there are in this place. What? I know, I know. Anyway, I'll get going. Okay, okay. <laughs> Shoutouts to the documentary Six Locked Doors, The Legacy of Coconut Grove, bostonfirehistory.org, which is a real website, and the article The Coconut Grove Inferno by Jack Thomas for the Boston oh, no. Globe. People getting trapped in this place? Okay. Yeah. I got a question. Okay. There's a whole website dedicated to just fires in Boston? Yeah, it's it's archived. <laughs> I mean, you can't really, like, you have to know where to go to get it. <laughs> and, you okay. It? <laughs> On the dark web. <laughs> Deep in the dark web. <laughs> Let's talk about the Coconut Grove Nightclub, home mm, to mm-hmm. the deadliest nightclub fire in American history. Mm. Mm. So wipe those smiles off yeah, your that face. Yeah, that's terrible. More deadly than the what was that concert one? That shooting one mm-hmm. in uh, Florida? No, was, not that one. The, I know which one you're thinking of. Yeah, one. more deadly than that. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'll cover that another time. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the coconut. What is Jesus that? Is somebody Christ. doing some There's construction of, out there? A lot of ladder noise. <laughs> <laughs> Did Norm get on the ladder? No, no, he no Norm would never get on the ladder. <laughs> yeah, that would never happen. Is Norm afraid of heights? Yeah, he's terrified of heights. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, one of the first times, I'm sorry, guys, we're starting with a tangent right off the top. <laughs> one of the first times he like met my family we went to a lighthouse because, you know, they don't have those in the Midwest. So we're yeah, like, oh, right. cool, you can tour a lighthouse. And I guess he was too embarrassed to say, so I'm he terrified. Just, he just went so he went up and we got to the top and he was like, oh, no. <laughs> so poor Norm. Yeah, he poor would never Norm. get on a ladder. I'm the one who gets on ladders in do this house. Do you clean the gutters in this house? Um, I did it at our old place. I wouldn't do it here. I was going to say, at this house, you could you got to pay somebody to come out and do that. Yeah. This stately manner this this mansion that i live in now <laughs> thanks to the podcast <laughs> okay so the coconut grove opened in 1927 and was located at ooh, ooh. 17 piedmont street boston massachusetts um i'm so, i have to take us on a slight other tan- oh why this default to san francisco came right up for me yeah. why well, didn't type sounds in like boston. user error hmm um, a slight tangent. Did you hear that that address that you gave us last week was even crazier than you said it? Because it's not pronounced Hartlepool. It's pronounced Hartlepool. Yes. Or like that. Oh, yes. That address was insane. How do you yes. ever find was, anything in England? It was a UK address. I take no blame for that. Okay, I'm looking at this. Okay, it's just... Is, yeah. this a, is this a home now? Yeah, it's um really nice, expensive condos. It looks yeah. very it looks nice. Very nice. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, for a few years in the 1930s, the club was owned by a Bob Moss named Charles King Solomon, a.k.a. Boston Charlie. I'm sorry, his real name? 
was Charles King in, you know, quotation oh, okay. marks, Solomon. Because of, of the Solomon. Yeah, yeah. King. yeah. Okay, I got yeah. it. Yeah. You, do you get it? I do. You sure? Biblical mob boss Nick. <laughs> <laughs> he was cutting kids in half right oh, and left. as a lesson to the mothers, you know? He had no choice. But then, oopsies, Boston Charlie was murdered in front of the Cotton Club. And 3,000 people attended his funeral, and they never caught the murderers or figured out why he was shot. But that's a story for another day. So quit asking about it. So when Boston Charlie... You going to cover that one? Yeah, right now. It's a twofer right here. No! No, but I mean, there's... Well, I didn't look into it much, but it doesn't seem like there's much court stuff because uh, no one was ever caught. Well, yeah, because it was a mob murder, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, when Boston Charlie was killed in 1933, his wife, Bertha, I know. I feel bad for women named Bertha. <laughs> I it's know. It's just you. I know. It's, it's <laughs> not a pretty name. No. No. And can you imagine being big and being named Bertha? Oh, my gosh. Then everyone, big Bertha. Big yeah. Bertha. <laughs> no, I, I hunted her name down because I didn't want her to be Boston Charlie's wife. And then I saw Bertha, and I was like, oh, jeez. <laughs> That's too bad. So, anyway, Bertha was like... I'm up to my neck in legal fees, and I've got a bad name. So she handed the <laughs> Coconut Grove over to their lawyer, Barnett, a.k.a. Barney Wilansky. So he took over ownership of the okay. club. Okay. It's Barney's club now. Yeah. And man, Barney was well-connected. He had ties to the mafia, obviously, and he had ties to the mayor of Boston, Maurice Tobin, and the dude had friends in all these high places and also was quite a business. Did cat. some people call him the gangster of love? <laughs> <laughs> some people called him Maurice. Dee dee. <laughs> this guy was all about the money. He came up with a ton of great ways to increase the Coconut Grove's profit margin. Are you ready for these great ways? Yes. For example, he hired teenage boys to be busboys because it was cheap labor. Makes sense. Mm hmm. He hired a bunch of really mean dudes to be waiters. Um, and since they were so big and mean, they could double as bouncers. I was say, you get two for one. Exactly. Very good. <laughs> Fun fact that's where we get the term BOGO. So, <laughs> Barney was super duper paranoid about people leaving the club without paying. So, he came up with a plan. Like any good flight attendant, he made note of all the exits, and some of them he locked. Some of them he covered with draperies, and another one he just brought in a bricklayer and just had him brick up. Oh, yeah. shit. I so bet that's going to yeah, come back to bite him. Back. No, this is not foreshadowing. <laughs> I'm just telling you about a great businessman. <laughs> so there was really just one obvious entrance slash exit, and it was a revolving door. Oh, that sounds dangerous. Yep. Revolving doors are awful. They take forever to get through. And they're Hit very it. scary. It's like, it's like <laughs> double dutch. Chops <laughs> Jump rope. You got to time it just right to get You know there. what I hate? I hate when somebody jumps in the same little compartment with oh, you. Oh, man. That's too much. That is. I should probably mention that technically Boston Charlie was the one who was super paranoid about covering all the exits because mm -hmm. he was a Bob Moss. But still, when Barney took over, he saw no need to change things. Yeah. But who would want to find a way out of the Coconut Grove? It was so fun in there. I know, they Until just want to stay forever. Brandy, spoilers. <laughs> spoilers all around. It was beautiful inside. It looked like a tropical oasis, the complete opposite of Boston. It was like you were on vacation in there. 
There was bamboo on all the walls and dark blue satin canopies covering the ceiling. Oh, God. There were heavy drapes over every oh, window. Oh, no. This uh, is just kindling. It's all going to go up in flames. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys, why aren't you more appreciative of the decor? <laughs> and all of the support beams had been done up to look like palm trees. Mm. And super flammable material. Yep. Yep. And it was kind of like a maze to get through because the building had originally been a garage and warehouse kind of thing. So there were all these different areas you could go and hang out in. There was a bar and a couple of lounges and dining areas. There was a caricature bar and there was a basement called the Melody Lounge. And the main floor had this retractable roof that they rolled back when the weather was nice so people could dance under the stars. Looking at pictures of this place before, you know, it all went to shit. It looks so cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It look I mean, this was like the place to be in Boston and Yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. So it was an amazing club. The Coconut Grove had everything. Live music, food, cocktails, dancing, celebrity appearances. <laughs> When someone famous entered the Coconut Grove, the Mater D would be like, Hear ye, hear ye, Jennifer Aniston is here. <laughs> it was cool. Needless to say, the Coconut Grove was a very popular place. It was posh, it was beautiful, it was exclusive, extremely flammable. And by the, yeah, well, <laughs> too. And um, by exclusive, I mean they didn't let in black people. Um, Fun fact, I do actually, I consider this a fun fact. Um, uh, no, no. It doesn't he, sound like no, it it's about to. It's about to get more, you know, I, this is all bad. But on the night that this all goes to shit, a black couple wanted to go in there. And they were like, no, you can't come in here. And so. Uh, so they maybe they didn't, didn't die. die. Racism saved lives that night. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably have to cut that. That's terrible. <laughs> On the night of November 28th, 1942, the place was hopping. And here's why. That night, some dudes played a game of football, and people were terribly interested in it. And the game was held at Fenway Park, and it was between Boston College and the College of the Holy Cross. And it was just a sold-out show. Everybody was there. I don't think they call it a sold-out show. <laughs> 41,000 people attended the football performance, Brandy. <laughs> Everyone agreed it was better than the matinee. That evening, it was wonderful. No, so everyone expected Boston College to win. But Holy Cross won. In what we sports fans call an upset, Brandy. (laughs) We sports fans. The College of the Holy Cross defeated Boston College 55 to 12. Wow. Wow. They didn't just defeat them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, in my opinion, that is quite a defeat. So Boston College was devastated, although I'm sure both teams had fun. So even though the whole football team had planned to go party at the Coconut Grove after the game, a lot of them just took their balls and went home. And the mayor took his ball and went home, too, because he was a big Boston College fan. So so he was sad. Yeah, a lot of grown men went home and cried into their pillows, um, which meant that the Coconut Grove was able to let in a ton of people they wouldn't have otherwise let in. Right. Uh, still not black people, though. No. So, you know, I say that. I bet they allowed black people to perform. Oh, I'm they sure. They probably did. Yeah, so, I'm sure they did. Middle finger. Why am I? Why yeah, am I? Wh- okay. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Sidetracked by racism. Okay. Um, and you know, then, I think what you thought is that if you brought this up, you could solve racism. <laughs> <laughs> and I 
I feel like I'm not solving it yet. I'll bring it up in a few minutes. So, and of course, a bunch of the people who'd gone to the football game were like, hey, let's keep this party going. And they headed to the Coconut Grove. And man, the folks at the Coconut Grove were thrilled. They pushed tables closer together to make more room for people. Really packed them in. They let in a ton of people. Were there fire safety laws at this time? Yeah. I mean, you've had the shirt. Triangle factory fire uh-huh. has already been, so. Yeah, the shirt triangle factory. I That's can't remember what it's triangle called. Triangle shirt waist. I was some. I think so. Is triangle and yeah, shirt triangle was in there. That was yeah. close enough. You were very close. <laughs> yeah, so there were some rules. Did they follow the rules? I would say probably not. Sounds like no. <laughs> <laughs> They've got exits blocked. They've got uh-huh. flammable fabric hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> mm-hmm. They've got people shoved in there like They're sardines. Probably way yeah. over the occupancy limit. Packed in there like sardines, I believe is no, the No, you shove sardines. That's sardines. what you do. Limited, definitely. <laughs> so the space was designed to hold a maximum of 460 people. Okay. That night... More than 1,000 oh people were packed oh, into the coconut. Is that not cocoa nuts? Oh, <laughs> How Jesus long have you Christ. saved that up? Were you just waiting for that she one? She saw my intro. Look at her face ago. right she, now. You guys, this is why we need a video, because she's so <laughs> proud of herself. It's like she's watching a professional comedian. <laughs> she does. She's just got this smug look on her face. She is so pleased with herself. <laughs> hey, maybe we can reach out to the... Um, Families of the victims, and you can tell them your little cocoa nest <laughs> <laughs> You insensitive jerk. <laughs> so everyone was having just a great time. That night at around 10, 15 p.m., people were hanging out in the Melody Lounge, which was in the basement of the Coconut Grove. You're farther from the exit. Yep. <laughs> and this beautiful woman named Goody Goodell was singing and playing piano on a revolving stage. I looked up her some of her albums. They were, you know, a little scandalous. Ooh. Fake palm trees surrounded her. The entire lounge was dimly lit. But what light they did have came from these sconces that had been made to look like coconuts. And at one mm-hmm. point, this dude who was hanging out with his lady friend decided to unscrew the light bulb in a nearby coconut sconce. I almost said coconut scone, <laughs> but I saved it, and it was not weird at all, um, so that he and his date could kiss in private. You're, I'm calling bullshit on kiss. The articles say kiss. You don't unscrew no, a light bulb don't, yeah, for kissing. Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. In 1942, maybe you did. Oh, oh, you think people started having babies after 1942? Come on, no! So before long, a bartender saw that the light bulb had been unscrewed and told this 16-year-old busboy named Stanley Hey, Tum- go break that couple up that's banging on that table over there. 16-year-old, yeah. <laughs> no, he was like, Stanley, go screw that light bulb back in. But that was, like, way easier said than done because Stanley pulled up a chair to where he thought the light bulb was supposed to be, but he really couldn't see anything because it was so dark. So he lit a match. Oh. I mean, oh. I guess he didn't have a flashlight on his phone, did he? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he had a Nokia. <laughs> Pre-flashlight. <Yeah. laughs> and, of course, once he lit the match, he saw the light bulb and screwed it all the way back in and blew out the match. And an ember traveled. Well, all we know is that a short while later, witnesses say they saw flames. So we just... 
toss the match against the wall and walk away? We'll get into later, like, what people think okay. was okay. the origin mm-hmm. of the fire. But, um, you know, they say they, they start seeing flames, flames that started near that light bulb where there was a bunch of what? It's 1942, though. Aren't people smoking cigarettes left and oh, right of course. in this place? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it could have yeah. been anything then. Yeah. Okay. Could have been like, I mean, everyone probably had 25 lighters on them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so there were a bunch of these leafy fronds hanging below the ceiling, which fronds was a word that I had to look up. But, palm fronds. Palm yeah, fronds, I know. Yeah. I, I know, but it sounds weird when you say it. So I was like, I better make sure that this is really a word. The waiters leapt into action. They got a bunch of water, tried to put it out. The bartenders grabbed bottles of seltzer to try to put it out. And a lot of the patrons were cracking up because it was kind of funny seeing these waiters and bartenders with their bottles of seltzer trying to put out this little fire. But soon, I find lots of things very funny that other people do not. I don't think that's funny at all. I think, I think when you're not even thinking about the possibility of this is how we're all going to die, it's yeah. just like people running well, with bottles of seltzer. When you've been drinking too, weird things yeah. are funny. Yeah, that's true. You laughed at your grandfather's funeral, ma'am. Do that I was totally true. <laughs> <laughs> you heard those upbeat renditions of songs and you laughed. <laughs> but soon the palm tree was engulfed in flames. And at this point, people started to panic. There was only one way out of the Melody Lounge, and it was the staircase, which would take them up to the main level. So people started to make a run for it. Meanwhile, one of the employees started yelling at people, saying no one was allowed to leave before they paid their tabs. Oh, oh fuck. seriously. <laughs> the Boston Globe article mentions that this man who did the yelling was five foot four and wearing a gray suit. What? <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird thing to That is a weird thing to make a point of. <laughs> but yeah, so this little guy in a suit was yelling at these people, don't run for your life. Yeah, pay your tab first and then you can flee from the fire. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But people continued to rush toward the stairs because the guy was 5'4". Um, push him out of the way. <laughs> as they did, more decorations caught fire, and soon a fireball spread from one corner of the lounge and up the stairs. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and the stairs are the way out. And for a lot of people, their first indication that something was wrong was hearing the screams of a woman at the top of the stairs whose hair had caught fire. Oh, God. The fire burst into the main area of the coconut grove. People screamed, they were shouting, fire, fire, and people rushed to the revolving door, and other people rushed to the coat room to get their coats. No! Abandon your coats! Get the fuck out of there! This is the part, like, these parts about, like, pay your tab. I've already forgotten what time of year it was. What time of year is it? November 28th. So so it was cold. cold. It was cold as fuck. But you can stand outside for a while without a coat on it. I mean, if the whole place is on fire, you're going to be plenty warm. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) my God. Sorry, was that too that's dark? Just, that's just logic for you. <laughs> I think it goes to show, like, in these situations, like, no one no one is thinking, oh, this could be how we all die. You know, yeah. and so instead yeah. it's like, yeah. it's like, well, I'm not going to leave my coat. You just think about weird things. Yeah, you yeah. think of, you try yeah. to make it normal when it's mm-hmm. not normal. Right. Like, I didn't write this part down, so everybody drink. Everybody um, drink. But, like, they said that the cashier... Um, was standing there with the fire. And someone was like, get out, get out. And she was like, well, I can't leave the money. And she died in this oh, fire. I just gosh. think, you know, by the time people figure out the danger they're in, it's too late well, in, in some cases. I'm, 
there probably wasn't a whole lot of done in like in schools on fire safety and stuff back then. I don't know. Yeah, they like now they do it young. They teach it really young. It's just like yeah. Did it should be interesting to know when that stuff started coming about, like, that sort of training. That would be interesting. I heard that stop, drop, and roll is no longer taught. What do you do not, now? What do you do now? You just stop and drop. There's no rolling. Why? Will you Google it? Maybe, am I making this up? Well, but the rolling is to put out the fire. Yeah, the rolling puts out the fire. <laughs> drop and roll. Now they just teach them to stop, drop, set them up. <laughs> <laughs> Randy. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm seeing plenty on stop, drop, and roll. I'm just giving out bad fire safety advice. Guys, oh, keep wait, wait, hold on. Oh. State Fire Marshal says children often get confused about stop, drop, and roll. Is that the Was end? there more to that? Well, that's, yeah. the, that's the headline. Okay, I'm, perusing, okay. I'm perusing for facts. It's crucial to stress, especially to children, that stop, drop, and roll is what you do when your clothing or body is on fire, not just not when there, just is, when there a is a fire. Oh, okay. Oh. That, that makes sense. Yeah. I could see little kids getting confused. You see a fire and then just... Yeah. 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 Little kids or brandy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, meanwhile, you know, you've got all these people running to the revolving door. You've got people running to the coat check. And apparently the coat check lady was like, well, you've got to pay and you've got to present your ticket. your ticket. Yeah. I need your ticket. Meanwhile, people continued to rush toward that main entrance slash exit. But again, it was a revolving door and people oh. were freaked out and they were shoving each other and falling and trampling one another. And only a few people got out of the revolving door before it jammed and broke. Oh, oh my goodness. Gosh. People were crushed against a revolving door that was now completely well, immobile. And it's a nightclub, so there's probably not any windows. Right. And um, some of the windows that they had had been boarded up. Boarded up, up yeah. Um, there were, like, draperies over everything. So you, you, you couldn't could, have you, known where yeah, a window was. You could was. be by a window and have no idea. Yeah. So the people who had gotten outside had to stand there looking back in Watching at the people. Just trapped. Yeah. Oh, that's got to be terrible. Oh. But the nice thing was that they weren't cold without their coats. They were just <laughs> warming, their, warming their hands. Yeah, because as you so delicately pointed out, Casey, <laughs> that fire will keep you warm. Yeah. By this point, the fire reached the dining room. And the dining room was packed. There was a show scheduled that night. It was supposed to have started at 10 p.m. So there were a ton of people just hanging out, waiting for the show. But as smoke filled the room and the fire broke out, people scrambled to find exits. But there weren't that many exits to mm -hmm. find. And on top of that, most of the exits were locked or obscured from view. From view, which starts with a V. <laughs> what did you say? View. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so people were panicking and they were fearful and they were trapped because... There were very few exits that weren't locked or boarded up or obscured from view, which I've already said. And those few exits that they did manage to find. The ones that weren't obscured yeah, from view. I was just like, oh. I was like, oh my God, I've said this 13 times. <laughs> so all of those doors that they could find swung inward. Which is terrible yeah. in the case of an emergency because, because the you're push, just like, yeah, you can't get the room to pull the door yeah, open. Holy shit. So everyone like. 
You know, I'm sure maybe one or two people got out, but then there's this surge of people. Oh, my goodness. There was smoke everywhere. People couldn't see anything aside from the flames. But a few people were lucky, and those people were mostly the employees. Because Because they knew where the doors were. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Unlike all the people who were just there for a good time, they knew where the windows were. They knew where the workable exits were. And they were much more familiar with the layout of this very confusing club. So a few of them got out, and a few of the customers who followed the employees also managed to escape. This fire only lasted for 14 or 15 minutes, but the smoke was so intense and the fire spread so quickly that in some cases, people were killed before they even had time to react. Oh my god! This is the creepiest thing. When firefighters finally got in there, some people were dead, sitting at a table, holding a drink. Oh, my God. Like, they had no time to react. Holy shit. Well, so was that dying by being burned smoke. to death or smoke? Smoke you, inhalation, I assume. Wow, that quickly. I, I'm i not an expert. What I the, don't know, but like I, like you said, there was that fireball, fireball thing. So which a fireball yeah. comes across a room. Like, yeah. yeah. I don't... I, we learned on a previous episode that I'm not a fire expert, so... That was devastating for me to learn. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you had it all figured out. (laughs) So the Boston Fire Department arrived pretty quickly. Weirdly, they'd gotten a call about a car fire that night. So they went to that car fire, put that fire out, and while they were there, they were like, holy shit, look over there. And three blocks away, they saw that the Coconut Grove was on fire. So by sheer coincidence, they were there very quickly. And in just a few minutes, according to one source, or... An hour, according to another source, they put the fire out. Either way. Wow. Uh, yeah. It, either way, it seems fast. Fast yeah. for a big yeah. fire. And yeah. a place like that, you would think it would take a lot longer. Yeah. But it didn't really matter. The Coconut Grove had been a tinderbox and had been filled beyond capacity with people who had no way of escaping. So with the fire out, rescue efforts got underway. And it was horrible. I'm sorry. I'm looking at both your faces. You look so bummed out right now. <laughs> I love hearing about people who are burned alive, Kristen. <laughs> I thought this Do you would know be more it's a weird fear of mine? Being burned alive? Yeah. Um, mine, too. This is terrible. Yeah, ter- yeah. The last couple of cases I've covered have been fires, yeah. and it, what a horrible way to go. Yeah. You know, I saw that movie Scrooge when I was a kid. And oh, the yeah. There's a scene where he's burned he's alive. He's cremated, yeah. but he's still alive inside the oh, and he's, like, kicking, trying yeah. to get out. It is and pretty I've had, terrifying, like, a fear of being yes. burned alive because of that. You guys watched a lot of really scary movies when you okay, were young. This is a Christmas movie. Well, it sounds terrifying. It's a, it's a take on uh, Christmas Carol. It sounds terrible. <laughs> Burned alive? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would have nightmares. Yeah. I think it's rated R. It probably is. It probably is, yeah. yeah. We definitely saw it too young. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Not fit for a four-year-old, if you ask me. <laughs> so people from all over tried to help, but it was a mess. It had already been very cold that night, but as the hours passed, it just got colder. So the cobblestone streets, which got covered with water when the firemen put out the fire, became icy, and fire hoses stuck to the ground. And as Casey pointed out, they put out the fire, which was a great source of heat. So it's not warm anymore. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, just spat. There weren't enough ambulances, so they had to use newspaper trucks to transport survivors to nearby hospitals, and taxi drivers pitched in, too, shuttling people to hospitals. But just getting people out of the Coconut Grove was a challenge, 
rescue workers would reach in to grab someone and the person's arms would come off. Oh. They began stacking bodies outside the exits. The stacks were shoulder high. Oh my gosh. And in some, I'm sorry, it gets worse. And in some cases, not everyone who was put in those stacks was dead. <gasps> everyone looked dead. And it was really hard to tell. Uh, yeah, when you have that many bodies. And like, it's so and they're dark. So dark and obviously covered in soot and ash. And, and who knows how many people were drunk before this. So right. Holy shit. So Ugh. one rescue worker had scratches on his legs from where survivors had grabbed hold of him, begging to be pulled out of the stack of bodies. Oh. oh. Once survivors were pulled out of the building, some of the rescue workers ha- hosed them down with water. But as one firefighter put it, they breathed in fumes so hot that when they breathed in the cold air, they dropped like stones. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Area hospitals were immediately overwhelmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In one hour, Boston City Hospital received 300 victims. Oh my gosh. Mass General received 114 victims in two hours. But here's the weird thing. Since we were at war, medical personnel were better prepared for that moment than they would have been at, like, any other time. Mm -hmm. With the war going on, they'd been preparing for a potential attack on the East Coast. So, literally a week before this fire, they'd done an all-citywide drill to test for how prepared they were for a bombing. Because that's what they were most prepared for. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously this wasn't a bombing, but it it called on those same skills. Yeah, Fire damage, yeah. So medical personnel were more prepared than usual, and because of the war, they had more supplies than usual. And in a truly crazy twist of fate, the first victims began arriving at the hospitals at the exact time when both hospitals were doing a shift change. Oh, so there are twice as many people there. Exactly. That's smart. I mean, not smart. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, they didn't plan it, obviously, but that's good. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So literally, all these hospitals were Mm double-staffed. But... Although people had made it out alive and were in need of medical attention, there were also hundreds of people who hadn't been so lucky. Rescue workers had to set up a temporary morgue to house all the bodies. And again, some of the people who appeared to be dead were brought to the morgue only for workers to be like, oh shit, this person's still alive. (laughs) I mean, it was just, it was a mess. Identifying the bodies. It was coconuts. (laughs) (laughs) Identifying the bodies was incredibly difficult. People had been burned in some cases beyond recognition. And women were especially hard to identify because, you know, men tended to die with their wallets on right. them. But when the fire right. started, women didn't necessarily, like, Grab hold on purse. to their purses. Yeah. yeah, And they didn't necessarily die right by their belongings. Mm-hmm. There was also the issue that even though a lot of people came to help the victims of the fire, there were also a ton of people who went, this is, Gross. They went up to the stacks of dead bodies. To take stuff? To yeah. take their yeah. wallets yeah. and stuff? Oh, yeah. that's awful. Brandy, quit being like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean <laughs> that happens. People do yeah. that. Pe- yeah. Terrible people do that. Um, yeah, one guy said that, or one, oh my God, what's the name I'm looking for? Medical guy who looks at the dead bodies. Coroner? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, one coroner was like, yeah, there's this one body with no damage to it. The only damage is to this man's ring finger, and there's no ring. Oh my gosh. Which made me think, do you guys remember, like, a couple years ago at a Taco Bell drive-thru, this was in Kansas City, a woman had, like, a heart attack and died, and the person behind her in the drive-thru, rather than trying to help her, 
came over and took her wedding ring. No! What? what? Do you guys not remember that? No! Yeah. Oh. oh Happened across my. from the stadiums. What? Yeah. I hope I'm not making that up. I think you are. No, I don't. Re- I really don't think <laughs> I, I am. I can't are. believe you. Ma- I wouldn't believe uh, you made that up. That yeah. sounds too real to be. Holy shit. Right? Oh, that's awful. I mean, they caught the guy because, duh. I mean, how many security cameras are around a Taco Bell? Right? I mean, all the security yeah. cameras. Might as well rob someone at a bank. <laughs> <laughs> they got pretty high security on those bean burritos. <laughs> <laughs> It's taken me months to play in my heist. <laughs> I've worked so hard. I can hard. pay 99 cents. <laughs> yes, yes. You've worked so hard if you just, like, put the money toward the bean burritos. In total, 492 people died as a result of the Coconut oh, Grove wow. fire. Oh, gosh. It was the second deadliest single building fire in American history. Stories filled local newspapers. the first? I don't know. I'd have to go Wikipedia that. Are you going to make me? Well, you tell us the second. You don't know the first. Stay tuned for next week's episode <laughs> where I cover another terrible fire. Um, Hang on, you <laughs> douche canoe. Hang on. Coconut Grove fire. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Iroquois Theater fire mm-hmm. in, Chicago? in Chicago. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Iroquois. Iroquois. 1903. Oh. 602 deaths in that one. My list technically says that the World Trade Center was number one. Yeah, they they have some different, like, they went into... Criteria, yeah, why that yeah, one doesn't yeah, count. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for filling in those gaps <laughs> in your research, Christian. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what case are you covering today, I'm Brandy? covering no case. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I still haven't seen this baby, so I don't even know <laughs> what to believe. She's not real. She just made yeah. it up. <laughs> Those are just stock images she keeps sending you. Oh, God, can you imagine? <gasps> oh. Well, do you remember when, like, I the first time I saw yeah, London, thought I thought she was, she was a doll because yeah. she was, like, so tiny oh, and perfect. Yeah. And, I mean, what if, now, Brady? You can't fake those little chub rolls on her thighs now. That's all oh, real. so <laughs> cute. <laughs> so stories filled local newspapers. Hundreds of people were dead, and the stories of the survivors were horrifying. A few people had survived by hiding in a walk-in refrigerator. A coast guardman, uh, I'm sorry, a coast guardsman named Clifford Johnson escaped the fire but went back in four times because he was trying to rescue his date. He didn't realize she'd already escaped. Who invented the coast guard? Oh, shut up. <laughs> what? She's trying to poke holes in No. What? Alexander Hamilton. Oh. <laughs> oh. Like, I thought you were trying to mess with me. Oh. Also founded the New York Coast. That's right. <laughs> yeah, founder of the Coast Guard. <laughs> Man, I was so ready and for you. To- founded, invented, is it whatever. Invented, invented he started, the, right he started the Coast Guard. Was that the first Coast Guard ever? Or just know. the first Coast Guard in America. Couldn't Listen, be. Aaron Burr told me that he's the son of a whore and he started the Coast Guard. <laughs> Our good friend Aaron Burr. Are you going to cover Aaron Burr? Mm, I don't think so. Don't yeah, think it's that's not, my, it's not that's my, my speed. Cup of tea. Yeah. It's more my cup of it tea. It definitely is. But I've looked into it and it seems boring to it me. Seems, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely going to have to. Maybe we can get Lynn Manuel Miranda to come on and jazz it up for us. I'm sure he's a fan. I'm sure. <laughs> So, 
this Coast Guardsman, um, which, of course, the Coast Guard started by <laughs> Alexander Hamilton, duh, um, named Clifford Johnson. He escaped the fire, went back in four times looking for his date. His date, turns out, had already escaped. But he ended up with third-degree burns over 55% oh, of his body. Which at the, that time made him the most severely burned person ever to survive with those injuries. Holy I shit. I can't believe he survived. That's amazing. It gets weirder. So he recovered, and then he was like, well, fuck this. So he moved back home to the great state of Missouri. Oh. And then he married the nurse who'd taken care of him. Aww. And then, 14 years later, he died in a fire. <gasps> oh, that's terrible. Final destination. <laughs> that's right. That's death coming back for him. <laughs> he was supposed to die in the that's fire. That's right. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that that Final Destination movie it's, was a remake of the, this original story. <laughs> but you may be wondering, where was the Coconut Grove owner in all of this? Not there, I'm obviously. Sure he wasn't. No, no, Barney Wolanski had a heart attack two days before the fire, so when a ton of victims were brought into Mass General, he was already there recovering from his oh my heart gosh. attack. Yes, this is so weird. People were incredibly angry and heartbroken about this loss of life, and they found it unacceptable. The more people learned about the fire and the way that Coconut Grove had been run, the angrier they became. They learned about the blocked exits. They learned about the locked exits. They learned that eight days before the fire, a captain from the Boston Fire Department had inspected the club and declared it safe. Mm. Wow. How much did they pay him? Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Good point. Um, his report on the condition of the club was one word long. Oh, wow. Good. No, good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Barney was ridiculously well-connected. I didn't even put all this stuff in, but he was paying about half in taxes, what he should have been paying if he paid it. Yeah. You know, it, mm-hmm. it was the whole deal. They also learned that the building had recently been remodeled. But Barney had done the remodeling with unlicensed contractors and without getting any permits. Oh, wow. Turns out the club didn't even have a liquor license or a food handler's permit. And the electrician who'd wired the Coconut Grove didn't have a license. What? And when the guy was like, oh, I'm unlicensed, Barney was like, don't worry about it. I'm BFFs with the mayor. Wow. It's like this guy was asking for his club he, to burn down. Mm-hmm. He invented the phrase BFF? No, okay, I'm, I'm going to tell you what he really <laughs> said. What he really said was so much weirder that I just said BFFs. <laughs> he said, Mayor Tobin and I fit. Ew, Ooh, that's right? weird. That's weird. What does that I don't mean? like that. It sounds sexual to me. <laughs> it sounds it certainly sexual. does. Yeah, we're a perfect fit. Huh. I don't know. So I didn't include that, but you forced my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even... Oh, even if it does mean that they were having some kind of sexual relationship. That's not that's what you say to somebody. <laughs> I, they weren't having it. Well, I guess I don't and know. You don't know. They could have been banging. But even if they were, in 1940, no, in 1942, no one was like, oh, I'm banging the mayor, you know. That's probably yeah, he's true. probably not going to allude to that in any sort no, of fashion no. at all in 1942. It just means BFFs. Hmm. It's a Best weird way to say it. fucking friends forever. Yeah. <laughs> Best fitting friends. <laughs> we fit. That's weird. The 16-year-old who everyone said started the fire, turns out he was too young to legally work there. Mm. And that boy, Stanley Tomaszewski, was called to testify at an inquiry. 
He was ultimately exonerated, thank God, on the grounds that it wasn't his fault that the club had been filled with highly flammable decorations and it wasn't his fault that the building itself was unsafe. But that didn't really matter because for the rest of his life, people blamed him for the fire. Mm-hmm. Well, and he probably carried that with him, too. Yeah, yeah oh, I'm probably, sure. Yeah. Even if they don't know specifically that that's where the fire started, would he would probably totally still always feel like yes. it was your fault. Yes. That all those people died. Yeah. But even back then, it wasn't 100% clear what had started the fire. Everyone had this vague idea that Stanley had done it by accident, but the Boston Fire Department's report said that they couldn't reach a conclusion as to the cause of ignition. But they could say that a buildup of carbon monoxide had helped fuel the fire and all the fire safety code violations and the flammable decorations and the doors that swung inward instead of out all contributed to the very deadly Mm -hmm. fire. Here is a not-at-all-fun fact. In the 90s, a former firefighter-slash-researcher named Charles Kenny looked into the Coconut Grove fire and determined that at that time, because of the war, a lot of, company, a lot of companies used methyl chloride instead of Freon mm-hmm. in their air conditioning, but methyl chloride is super-duper flammable. Mm. And it turns out that in that same area where Stanley screwed in that light bulb, there was an AC unit on the other side of that wall. So this researcher thinks that, you know, after, like, looking at all these witness accounts Mm -hmm. about the flames, the color of the flames, how everything smells, he thinks that it was an electrical fire and that that methyl chloride acted as an accelerant. Okay. I still, I think it was probably Stanley, but again, not his fault. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. At any rate, let's hop back in our time machines and return to the 1940s. People were grieving and outraged over this fire. Clearly, this well-connected club owner had ignored the rules, and his negligence had led to an enormous loss of life. Over the course of the next two years, more than 400 civil lawsuits were filed against Coconut Grove. Wow. And we're going to talk about every Every one one of them. Okay. (laughs) This episode is 15 hours long. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, this this sucks big time. When all was said and done with all these lawsuits and all the money was paid out and divided among the survivors and the victims' families, everybody got about $150. Oh, my God. Okay, that's fucking coconuts. I agree. Adjusted for inflation... About $2,200. $2,200 is all those people's lives are worth? Apparently. That's awful. That's terrible. So apparently, with the building burnt down and little to no liability insurance, there wasn't much money to go around. Right. Mm-hmm. And the only valuable asset that the Coconut Grove had was some liquor that somehow managed to survive the fire. Huh. So there was no money for the survivors. Which, of course, made people even angrier, and someone needed to be held accountable for those deaths. Ultimately, on December 31st, 1942, like a month after the fire, 11 people were indicted for their roles in the Coconut Grove fire. And on March 15th, 1943, Barney and his brother James and the club's wine steward, Jacob Goldfind, which I'm wondering if he was the same guy who was five foot four and telling everybody to pay their tabs, they were all put on trial together. The prosecution's case was basically that in a case of involuntary manslaughter, it's not necessarily about what you did, but in this case, what you didn't do. Okay. 
They mm-hmm. didn't follow the rules. They didn't exercise reasonable yeah. care. The fact that Barney had locked and obscured so many of those exit made him exits made him responsible for those deaths. He showed reckless disregard for the safety of his customers. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. No, you guys, whose side are you on? Yeah, it, no, and it goes beyond just negligence. Mm-hmm. Like it's a step past that. Yeah, it's manslaughter. Yeah, yeah. So they're saying. Barney had a duty of care to uphold as a business owner, and he hadn't done that. If you're going to invite people into your business, you got to make it yeah. safe. Yeah. yeah. They called 95 witnesses who testified about the rules that Barney had flouted, and some witnesses who survived the fire testified about that traumatic night and their struggle to get out of the coconut grove. But Barney's defense was like, whoa, Barney wasn't even there that night. He didn't start the fire. It was always Always burning burning since since the the world's been turning. (laughs) Then the defense did some light victim blaming. They argued that the people at the Coconut Grove that night died because they'd panicked. Well, that's what what a crowd does when something happens. That's Yeah, so it's all their fault, right? No! No. (laughs) That is natural human reaction. The exits were blocked. Yep. Yeah, so the defense said uh, they did the wrong thing. They freaked out, and they trampled each other. And um, if they'd stayed calm, they wouldn't have died. And you can't blame the club owner for the fact that his customers panicked and trampled all over each other. You can blame him for locking the doors and making it so they couldn't get out. And making it incredibly unsafe. Yeah. 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 And again, he wasn't even there that night. Did we mention he wasn't there? Because he wasn't there. (laughs) The bottom line it was it wasn't the club's fault. The defense for James and Jacob argued that they shouldn't even be on trial because they had no managerial authority over the club. At some point in this nutso trial, a fire expert, I believe this was for the prosecution, brought in a piece of material and tried to light it on fire as like a demonstration yeah. for the jury. But it didn't burn, so he took a bigger piece of the material and put a match to it, and it went up in flames, and the entire courtroom had to be cleared out, and it was a big mess. And can you... I mean, can you they light something on fire in a trial to where people died from a fire? What I'm hoping is that there were not people there who had been in the fire and who no, weren't re-traumatized. Yeah. But, like, can you imagine how fucking stupid that could have been? In the trial for the Coconut Grove fire, everybody dies in the courtroom. No shit, yeah. Barney testified in his own defense. He was on the stand for six hours. And in that testimony, he exonerated his two co-defendants. He said, you know what? This was my club. I had control of the club. Wow. Wow. Now, that's what the documentary said. I would have been very interested to see exactly how he said it. What the way I imagine it, and I'm just pulling this out of my ass, is they start yes. questioning him like, "Yeah, it's my club." Yeah, that's how I. Yeah. Imagine, that's how I imagine it. Yeah, is the prosecution's like kind of getting at his ego, like, "So you're not really in control? Uh-huh. Who's really in control right. of this?" Absolutely. That's yeah. how. Yeah, that's how I imagine it. The trial lasted for four weeks, and the jury deliberated for almost five hours. And when they came out, they found Barney guilty of 19 counts of involuntary manslaughter. So I'm saying 19. They were selected randomly from the hundreds of dead just to represent the group. Okay. And they acquitted the other two guys. Barney was facing up to 20 years, but he was sentenced to 12 to 15 with eligibility for parole after eight years. Wow. How do we feel? (laughs) 
so many people die. I know. Yeah. I know. He should probably have gone to jail for the rest of his life. I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was never his intention, obviously. No, but, I mean, he, but man. Yeah. Yeah. But he should have foreseen that it was a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. But this was obviously a grave injustice, and Barney appealed his decision all the way to the Massachusetts Supreme Court. Casey, come I'm on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know how to do it. It takes a tremendous amount of skill. Yeah, you're right. we, have a, we have a training process you've not mm-hmm. cleared yet. <laughs> but the court was like, get out of here, man. The judge said, the prosecution didn't have to prove that you caused the fire by some you know, wanton or reckless conduct. It was enough to prove that the deaths resulted from your reckless disregard of the safety of your patrons, you douche canoe. Yeah. I wrote ding dong, but I decided to, you know, up the stakes. <laughs> Add some flair. <laughs> That's right. Now go back to prison. But remember, Barney was well connected. Yeah, so. He was a perfect fit with the mayor's butthole. <laughs> and, um, oops, did I say mayor? Because by this point. He's more, the governor? Yep. Oh, yep. shit. Uh-huh. So he gets a pardon? Yeah, so after <gasps> serving. Four whole years in prison, oh Barney's good friend, the mayor, pardoned him. And nobody says anything about corruption, or any, I mean... So, here's the deal. People were pissed, and reporters found him, and asked for interviews, and he said, I wish I'd died with the others in the fire. Yeah, I'm making I mean, the same face. Is that genuine? Mm. Nine weeks later, he died from cancer. Mm. And he was 50 years old. Mm. I mentioned earlier that other people were indicted for their roles in the Coconut Grove fire, but Barney was the only one to get convicted and the only one to face justice. I mean, if you can call oh, four, four years. years yeah. But ladies, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this court stuff has been very unsatisfying. <laughs> well, don't you worry, because the story of the Coconut Grove fire was so horrifying that a lot of lawmakers looked themselves in the mirror, and they said, let's go to court. Yes, Casey. I did it. I got it. Yep. <laughs> You've now completed step one of the training process. <laughs> we think you're going to do quite well here. <laughs> and they were like, let's make some laws. So here are a few of the laws that came out in the year after the Coconut Grove fire. Are you guys ready? Yes. Okay. I have got my pants buckled so tight. <laughs> Good. Maybe you should loosen that up a little. That means I buckled up and kept my pants on. (laughs) That's what I was getting at. (laughs) I was just picturing you in aggressively tight pants, being really uncomfortable. So, here's what they passed. A law banning flammable decorations in public establishments. Because, duh. Duh. Sure. Excellent. Mm -hmm. A law banning exit doors that only swing inward. Because, duh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A law that required exit signs be visible at all times. Because, duh. A law that requires exit signs have their own power source. Yeah. Because, duh. Yeah. A law that requires that revolving doors must also have an outward swinging exit door right next to them. Mm -hmm. Because, duh. And a law that you can't chain or bolt an emergency exit shut because fucking, duh. Yeah. All these laws. All of those things should not have to be said. Right? Apparently they do. Well, and you know what I realized? 
I've always thought it was kind of funny that revolving doors always have they have other doors, doors usually on either side. I thought yes. that was like an option. Like, would I you like to take too. the revolving I door or the regular door? Yeah, I always thought it was like, oh, choices. <laughs> I never, never occurred to me. Oh, me like, either. Maybe a ton of people died because of a revolving door. <laughs> this is there for my safety. Like, never. You know, I always me. take the regular door. I always do too. I hate the revolving door. I'm too anxious about the revolving. See, I I take the revolving door because I've heard like for environmental purposes, like it it keeps yeah, the air conditioning. Yeah, the air in the building. But I don't mm-hmm. like it. I do not enjoy it. And now after this story, I don't ever want to be in a revolving door at all. Yeah. What about those automatic revolving doors? Yeah. Oh, they like yeah. spin like a mm-hmm. fucking carousel. I'm afraid I'm going to get chopped in half. Yeah, I don't like that at all. <laughs> That's how you go. That's how I go. <laughs> She died doing what she hated, getting in a revolving door. (laughs) Um, So all these laws were thanks to the Coconut Grove fire, but it didn't stop there. The fire inspired people to create commissions that would come along and punch establishments in the mouth if they violated any of these laws. (laughs) And by that, I mean they'd find them. (laughs) And all of these new rules became the foundation for a ton of federal fire laws and code restrictions that we now have all across this great land. But weirdly, the silver lining to this story is not just about fire safety. Mass General and Boston City Hospital obviously received just hundreds of burn victims as a result of the fire, and that horrible tragedy created a learning environment. So thanks to this fire, medical personnel figured out new, better ways to treat people who were burned or suffered from smoke inhalation. Mm, Wow. Goosebumps. And afterward, these two doctors wrote about the experience in what is now one of the most widely cited papers on modern burn care. Wow. Wow. So... What people learned as a result of this fire is still used today to treat burn victims. But it didn't stop there. Psychiatrists also jumped in and they studied the effects that the fire had on families and victims. So some of the earliest research on PTSD comes from the work that psychiatrists did in the aftermath wow. of this fire. Yeah. So, I mean, this was obviously a terrible tragedy, but it had a huge positive impact, mm-hmm. too. And the people of Boston wanted to commemorate the victims. So in 1993, members of the Bay Village Neighborhood Association installed a plaque on the site of the fire. A commemorative plaque? (laughs) Oh, no, that means you have to keep all that bullshit in. I was so glad that you didn't say anything. I was like, we'll just cut that bullshit out. Commemorate is a very long word with a lot of M's. It's very complicated. Man. Wish I had something to throw at you. <laughs> so anyway, they installed a plaque to commemorate <laughs> the victims. Um, and the plaque was actually created by the youngest survivor of the fire. He had been a busboy and his name was Anthony Mara and he'd grown up to be a metalsmith. So he's the one who made this plaque. And it read, in memory of the more than 490 people who died in the Coconut Grove fire on November 28, 1942. As a result of that terrible tragedy, major changes were made in the fire codes and improvements in the treatment of burn victims, not only in Boston, but across the nation. I think that's coconuts that he grew up and chose a job where he would work with fire. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, the plaque sounds amazing. Well, um, are you ready to get mad again? Mm. Oh, yeah. 
happened. They okay. tore that. They tore his plaque down. Uh huh. Oh, um, when no. they tore down the building to build the condos. Uh huh. Oh. <laughs> you guys, little <laughs> that sucks. It's just weird because you have the same disappointed <laughs> face. It was like double your pleasure, double your fun. So here's the thing: the neighborhood installed that plaque, but then these really expensive condos were built on the site. And according to this documentary, the people who lived in the condos... Didn't want any fucking plaques in their nice neighborhood. Yeah, it bummed them out, Brandy. Holy shit. They didn't like it, and, you know, people would stop and read the plaque, and then they'd, you know, look at the condos, and, you know... How big was the plaque? It was not very big. It shouldn't have been that big of a problem. Well, you know... I mean, these are rich, I guess when you pay a few million dollars for a condo... You don't you want to be to reminded of the tragedy that happened over the site. Yeah. Well, I bet that ghost that's coming up every night. <laughs> one ghost. One, You're lucky I mean. you got one. You've got a whole ballroom full of them. Um, so, yeah, these people kind of threw a fit, and the neighborhood association was pissed. They were like, you rich fuckers moved into a historic neighborhood yeah. onto a historic site, and because you have money and power, you think you can get a plaque removed from a historic site just because it bums you out? I fucking double dog dare you! Mm-hmm. And they were like... Okay. And the rich people were like, yeah, that's exactly what we think, and that's what they did. (laughs) So the plaque got moved um, underneath a light pole at the intersection of Piedmont Street and the newly named Coconut Grove Lane. And that's the story of the Coconut Grove Fire. Huh. That was awful. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I realized I've done a couple of these just Big old tragedies lately. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're the you're the creep who does the family annihilator stuff. Yeah, that's like one terrible person. Yeah, but you get to know all of them, yeah. and that's worse. I think it's sadder to like who's uh, that that awful guy coined that phrase. One death is a tragedy. A million is a statistic. Who am yeah. I quoting? Yeah, that's terrible. Am I quoting Stalin? I think it might be Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> Good friend of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Post it notes with that. <laughs> Live, laugh, love. One death is a tragedy. (laughs) One million is a statistic. Yeah, so sorry, guys. Thanks for that horrifying fire. Oh, don't worry. I hear that the Ken and Barbie murders are, like, really uplifting. It's totally upbeat. We're going to laugh the whole time. Dolls, so. Yeah, I mean, who cares if dolls get hurt? (laughs) No, it's a horrifying case. Yeah, I know it's horrifying, Brandy. Do you know it? Yeah. She recognized it right away when I told her what it was. Yes. Yeah. I wish you'd covered it. (laughs) (laughs) I am covering it today. I brought Casey to do it for me. Wow. Get your sister to do your bidding. That's right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Okay. First off, to start, um, what inspired me, I saw an episode, an old episode of Autopsy 8 called Dead Giveaway. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So... What's Autopsy 8? I've never heard of this. Autopsy is this show that used to be on HBO, (gasps) and 
eight is like they wasn't really like a regular show, but they would have like hour long specials like once every okay. three months or something like that. So it was not really a TV show, but more like a special series. I Norman used to watch Autopsy before bed before he realized that was nuts. (laughs) Well, so when James and I got together, he, my husband, he loves old TV. Right. And so this is just one of the things that he found somewhere, like on Prime or something like that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And I'd never seen it before. He's like, oh, you got to watch these old Autopsy episodes. You know, these are great. So he made me watch a bunch of them, and this is one that really stuck with me. And so then after that, I was just like, that case is really creepy. For some reason, it just really resonated and so that's where I why I picked it. Mm-hmm. So I watched the autopsy video again. Actually I watched it like four times. Uh-huh. So and then I got most of the rest of the information from Murderpedia. Um there's an article on there for the crime library by Marilyn Bardsley that's really good, very detailed. Um and then Wikipedia was actually she got the, very uh, detailed. Crime library. I didn't even have to tell her. <laughs> <laughs> So then both Wikipedia has a very detailed article as well. Mm-hmm. So I use that okay. as well. So did you watch the movie Carla? I didn't. I didn't try have to you find it? it. I have not seen it. Oh, I've seen it. Laura Prepon plays Carla Homolka. It's weird that you've seen the movie, but you didn't ever bother to cover this case. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Casey, take it okay. away. All right. So it's December 1990. The holidays are approaching. As the people of Scarborough, Ontario, prepare for their gatherings, the city is on high alert. Over the past three years, 12 women have been brutally raped, and the man who was responsible was still on the loose. Scarborough rapist. That's right. So Scarborough is actually a suburb of Toronto. It's on the east side of the city. It actually was its own city, but then in 1998, it was absorbed into Toronto. So kind of like Brooklyn was absorbed into New York. Yeah. So... I was recently schooled on Toronto. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you guys, in our bonus so, episode, I covered a case in Toronto me. and uh, said some dumb things and was corrected. <laughs> so I just always like to know where stuff is in relation to other stuff. I'm really, I'm a math nerd. So it was important to me to know exactly where it was. So Yeah, Casey's super, super good at geography. She... Yeah, that's how we win all the trivia yeah. competitions <laughs> yeah. is because Casey knows geography and other things. Okay, so meanwhile, an hour and a half later, to the south, in St. Catharines, Ontario, the Homolka family, let's try that again, the Homolka family was having a celebration. I knew I was going to have trouble saying Homolka. Homolka, it's hard to say. It is, it's a weird word, and James was making a joke. There's a character in the movie Congo whose last name is Homolka, Uh and he says it really funny, and Uh James is like, you going to say Herkama Homolka? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to say it. And now I just did. <laughs> well, we can cut out whatever you can leave that part in yeah. for him because yeah. he is actually going to listen to this episode. So, but yeah. Oh, wait, does it. he not listen to all of our episodes? <laughs> Damn it, James. <laughs> he actually used to listen to a lot of podcasts when we first met, but now uh-huh. he just watches TV because he's working from home and so he doesn't listen to hardly anything anymore. Wow. Mm. Okay. It's great advertising Sorry. for the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our own families don't even listen. <laughs> Anyway, if you've never seen Congo, it's a terrible movie from 1995. It's based, not terrible. It's terrible. If you watch it now, it is terrible. What do you mean terrible? Like, like it is so sad? cheesy. Oh. No, it is so cheesy. Randy, did you act in it? Why are you so? No, I see. Okay, this is my recollection of it. Okay, we had a dog that had a stuffed gorilla. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. And we called her Gorilla Amy because of the gorilla in Congo named Amy. And we could tell Dolly, that was the dog, uh-huh. to go get Amy. And she could go get that gorilla. And so now you're weirdly attached to that movie? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it was... I've not seen it since I was a child. They made it right after Jurassic Park. So at the time, they were, like, Aww. turning all of Michael Crichton properties into movies. And uh-huh. this one was not done nearly as well as Jurassic Park. So... And it's about a talking gorilla, a gorilla that learns sign language and taking it back to you. Were you scared of Jurassic Park when you were a kid? Yes, I was terrified. <laughs> yes. You had Brandy, to bring that up. You douche canoe. What are you doing okay, right now? I was, what, it was 1993, so I was nine years old when we I saw it. I was seven, didn't scare me. Their oh kids God. are stuck in the kitchen being hunted by velociraptors. Yeah, it was scary. It's I'm, scary. Yeah, yeah, it was scary. It was scary. Did last week? I saw it in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, continue. All right. So the Homolka family is having a celebration. Their daughter, Carla, had just gotten engaged at the age of 20 to her 26-year-old boyfriend, Paul Bernardo. Mm. Mm -mm. So a little bit of an age gap there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Carla Leon Homolka was born May 4th, 1970. She's the oldest daughter to her parents, Carl and Dorothy, which his name is K-A-R-E-L. Oh. I'm... Thinking it's Carl, not Carol, Carol. but I don't. I don't know. Carol know. can be a man's name. Yeah. That's a weird spelling, though. But because her name is Carla, I would say his name is probably pronounced. You're probably Carl. you're probably mm-hmm. right. But I, I mean, I don't know for sure. So they had another daughter in 1971, Lisa, and then Tammy was born in 1975. The Homolkas seemed, by all accounts, to be a normal, average family. Their daughters all grew up happy, healthy, well-adjusted, and Carla was no exception. She was pretty popular at school, and well-liked by everyone she met. She had a passion for animals and worked part-time at a pet shop during high school. And once she graduated, she transitioned into a career as a vet assistant, mm-hmm. first at Thorold... Thorold? Thorold? Uh, Thorold. <laughs> There's too many O's in Are that these, word. Is this a word? It is. Thorold. <laughs> Veterinary clinic. I thought you were trying to say the world. <laughs> the world. T H O. T H O R L D. No, T H O R O L D. Thorold. It's a weird word. It's too, it's not good. Thorold. <laughs> and then she moved to the Martindale Animal Clinic. That's way I can pronounce that one yeah, much better. Yeah. Like Wink Martindale. <laughs> yes. He's a former game show host. Oh my god. I'm sure. Oh my. I'm sure he's dead by now. And I'm sure no one knows who you're talking about who besides know Casey. Wink Martindale. Casey is the only person who knows who you're talking about. He hosted Debt when we were children. We used to watch that show. When we were children or in the 60s, and then you watched the real game show that that was on. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the whoever made it to the final round, you were playing to pay, pay off, off your, your debt. debt. Uh huh. So oh it was God, always like a like different amount. So like people would have like ten thousand dollars, eight thousand dollars, fifteen thousand yeah. dollars, and like if you won, they'd pay off your debt. That's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they need well, to bring that back. Yeah, we thought it was cool at the I, time. I we, it. we watched it. Was hosted it. by Wink Martindale. Mm-hmm. Was my point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, continue. She's volunteering at Mar- right. or working at Martindale so she's Animal working Clinic. Working at the Animal Clinic. So her love of animals is actually what led her to attend a pet convention held in Toronto in 1987. Is that where she met Paul? There she met her fiance Paul. Mm. I think they call it a furry convention. 
<laughs> so she was 17 when she met him, Ew. and Paul was 23. Yeah, no. So yeah, I mean, good. it's only six years before, between them, but at 17, mm-hmm. she's That's definitely good. too young to be dating a 23-year-old. Well, yeah. and the younger you go, the bigger that gap, you know? Yeah, exactly. So six years when you're 17 is like It's huge. 10, six years when you're 10, in your 15. 40s is nothing. Yeah. Right, exactly. If Carla's parents had reservations about Paul, they quickly got over them and welcomed him and the family with open arms. He was good-looking, smart, and he treated their daughter well. And, like, super fucking charming, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He fit seamlessly into their family, and they found him to be the perfect <laughs> son-in-law. Kristen, your face. I'm sorry. I just... I cannot you know imagine. what you know about him, and you're just like, well, but I'm also like, I can't imagine having a 17-year-old daughter. Bring and home a 23-year-old and, and be like, like hey, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. We love, love you. Him. Yeah. Yeah, no. Mm. Okay, so back to our engagement party. Paul had recently gotten a video camera, so he spent the whole night taking pictures and video footage of everything. And so they show this footage in this autopsy episode, and it is just like, you know, those early 90 videos. Everybody had video cameras back then. They were the cool new thing. And, like, you take all this footage of all these people. They're so happy, and they're just joking around, and they look like normal, regular people. Mm -hmm. I remember we watched... A few years ago, our Uncle Greg busted out one of the old video oh, yeah, footages yeah, yeah. and video footage from us in the early 90s. And yeah. this yeah. footage looks just like that. Like, just our regular family yeah. gathering. Yeah, it's of yeah. nothing. It's of nothing. Well, yeah. That's nothing what happening. all those old videos yeah. were. Yes. They were just like, hey, kids, got yeah. the camera out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's just like that, these videos are. And they just look like a normal, regular family. Everybody looks happy. All the sisters are there and the parents, and they're all just having a good time, so... After Dorothy and Carl go to bed, Carla and Paul stay up celebrating and drinking into the night. So since it's right before Christmas, it's during the holiday break, Carla's 15-year-old sister Tammy was allowed to stay up and hang out with them. So Carla and Paul, after... In... God, I hate it so much, I know what's coming! (laughs) Carla and Paul allowed her to drink with them. Cool, yeah. 15, hanging out. Drinking with her older sister uh-huh. and her fiance. And I'm sure she thought that was great. I mean, you're 15, sure. you just, you want to hang out with older people. You think you're much yeah. older than you actually are. Oh, yeah. So in the early morning hours, Tammy was rushed to the hospital. Carla had noticed that Tammy was making a choking sound and had started to vomit. So Carla rushed to her sister thinking she was having a seizure or an allergic reaction. She tried to administer CPR, got no response, and then she called 911 for help. Tammy was pronounced dead later at the hospital. During an autopsy performed later that day, a forensic pathologist determined that the cause of death was asphyxia due to the aspiration of her stomach contents. Mm -hmm. And she also had a very large burn on her face, which was attributed to stomach acid. So she vomited so much Mm. that she burned her face with stomach acid. Mm -hmm. Is that even possible? I I don't know. Okay. But that was the official record that she choked to death in her own vomit and burned her face in the process. Do you want to say words that people can understand? (laughs) That just sounded like an angry old man. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get back to it. Okay. Moving on. Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay. So the family was obviously devastated. Her funeral was held the next day. The next day. The next day? Yes. That is, that is super soon. That is so fast. I don't even understand. Yeah. But yes, her funeral was held the next day. So, and I think that this happened on the 23rd. So, like, her funeral's on Christmas Eve. Oh, God. Yeah. So, 
And I wonder if maybe they rushed it that fast because family were in town and could come. Yeah. I mean, it just seems so fast. Yeah. Because funerals take a lot of time to set up. I mean, I can't imagine being able to pull it off that quickly, but this is what it said. It was the next day. So, So family and friends and extended family all expressed shock at Tammy's tragic end at such a young age. And it seemed to affect Paul especially hard. We're at the funeral and Paul is taking things especially hard. According to friends. Paul, the guy who just met everybody? Well, I mean, he didn't just meet them, but they just got engaged. They've been together for three years at this point. Oh, so okay. He's been okay. With the, okay, all right. I'll with calm the family. Down. <laughs> 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 so, friends, according to friends of theirs, Paul kept referring to Tammy as their angel. Oh, she's my angel. She's our angel. She's going to be our angel in heaven. Mm. And she kept finding ways to touch her and to play with her hair. You. So, and she's. She's in a coffin. Oh. Well, I assumed they didn't have her propped up in the <laughs> Okay, <case>. Brandy. Brandy, <laughs> do you touch people in the coffin? I've I've seen like um a widow go and like Okay, I mean you know, he, but I mean he not was like not a widow. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like <laughs> not like going and playing okay. with the hair and yeah, yeah, that's weird. So one of the things that's also strange about this is he actually videotaped at the funeral. Everybody that, had you already told us everybody had video cameras. Not at video, the funeral. Taping no. everything that so, day. Yes. See? There is footage in the episode of Autopsy of this funeral. and it's, That's weird. It's that's very weird. weird. That's, yeah, that's super Why weird. would you want to commemorate that? Because you're a murderer and you're proud I mean, of yourself. <laughs> yep. Okay. You want to have that footage to... Okay, Brandy. Jerk it to later. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we were all thinking it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the family moves on and tries to heal. Two months after Tammy's death... Carl and Paul decide they want to give her parents space to grieve, so they move in together near Port de Lucie, Ontario. So this is still in the general area of St. Catharines, which is on the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. So it's not that close to Toronto. It's about an hour and a half of drive Mm -hmm. around the lake to get Mm-hmm. From one place to the other. So, did you know that Toronto is a very multicultural city? Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> Big Jamaican population too. Oh, that's that's what I have learned as well. <laughs> Go ahead, Casey. Okay, so this is when friends start to really notice a change in Paul. He starts drinking heavily, and he gets weirder and weirder. He at like some point in this time he, coming off kind of rapey. <laughs> at some point at this time he leaves his job or loses it. It's not uh-huh. clear which. Um, but he doesn't tell anybody that. Oh, my God. This is a dude thing, I swear. <laughs> yeah. Does so, he still pretend to go to work every day? I, I'm not sure. They don't mention that. But he's no longer an accountant where he was. And he's mm-hmm. running cigarettes illegally to make money. So he's, like, going across the border, getting getting contraband and bringing it back. Because they're really okay. close to the, yeah, to the border yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, his friends are just start describing his behavior as erratic and strange, and he gives off this impression that he's got, like, this big secret. Mm-hmm. This big thing hanging over him. Mm-hmm. So um, let's back up a little bit here. In May of 1990, so before any of this happened, yeah. so there was a victim. Mm-hmm. She was raped, and this time it actually happened in St. Catharines and not in Scarborough, Scarborough. Toronto. Okay. So got a change of location. Mm-hmm. Weird, because Paul just moved to <laughs> St. Catharines, I mean, right? he's at least visiting his uh, obviously girlfriend a who lives there, yes. Um, though the location's not the same as the other, it is determined that it is the Scarborough Rapist. Uh-huh. So for whatever reason, they do figure it out and put it together. Um, were they, how were they doing that? Were they doing, like, a semen 
test? So there. What's a semen test? I was going to say, do you mean the DNA that, test? Well, it's too early for DNA no, testing. It's in the 90s. 90s. No, 90s. Like that. That's when they started doing it. Okay, so the they 90s. were collecting samples. There were samples left were behind. Semen <laughs> um, they, but they didn't have anything to test against. Yeah. And um, the mode of operation was very similar. Oh, so okay. he would creep up on women and attack them like out on the street or in their backyards yeah, yeah, yeah. or in parks and push them down and rape them both vaginally and anally. Wow. Jesus. You know what's weird is that's that's the kind of rape I feel like everybody fears, but it's one of the most rare Rare times. Yeah. Like yeah. a stranger the, the, the coming up The real stranger you. rape is not very common, but yes, it's clearly happening here. Yeah. This is the real, yeah, real deal that for that. Yeah, you runner in Arkansas? Not, no, not real. what are you talking about? Why do you always tell me about these runners? Because she's trying to get you to stop running no, at night. No, just going to worry about you. <laughs> What happened? She was running in Arkansas. She went missing. They did this whole big search party for her. They found her body. She'd been sexually assaulted and killed. Some man who was part of the fucking search party. Of course. Has been arrested and charged with her murder. Oh. Yeah. He just, uh, they believe he just saw her running and decided he had to have her. Gross. Yeah. That is really gross. Terrible. Yeah. Okay, so back <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I think of you every time I see those stories. It makes me so anxious. I mean, yeah, I don't know what to say. But I, at the same time, you can't you let can't, stuff yeah. like that keep you from living your life and doing That's true. Doing the things you want. You don't You shouldn't have I want to, you be, to be aware of your surroundings. You should be aware of your surroundings. You're running. The <laughs> the worst case scenario thing comes from our dad. It does. That's like, absolutely. My dad thought that I died today because I didn't. Totally he did. didn't respond to his text for yep. two hours. <laughs> People would think I was dead all the time. Yeah. I, <laughs> I like put down my phone and I just don't answer for a long time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think about that a lot when I run. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the well, Hamilton soundtrack like is so loud in my head. I can't really hear that guy coming up behind you, which is how I want to go. <laughs> 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 and then, you know, you know, I did see like a really terrible article that was like what women should think of when they're running and like it came off. God. Very victim blaming. Yeah. And it was not, in response I mean, because that, in reality, case. in, in the world we want to live in, you should not have to worry about things like that, obviously. But Absolutely, yeah. That's, yeah. that's not the reality we live in. The thing is, I've some of those articles that are like how to stop yourself from getting raped are so ridiculous. Like, they th- say the thing about ponytails. Yeah. Don't wear your hair in a ponytail. What's well, time with my hair? Exactly. Just like, what wind? am I, Fabio? Yeah. No, I'm going to pull my hair up and, like, can we blame the rapist when there's an attack and not me with my ponytail? <laughs> But yeah, Brandy will come in afterward and do that semen test she invented. She's got to get him. Semen yeah. testing, that's right. <laughs> I'm pioneering a whole new form of semen testing. <laughs> I'm picturing you with just a bunch of Chobani yogurts and it's a taste test. <laughs> oh, God. I knew that's where you were going. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You know I was going to say Chobani yogurts. Yes, I know you. <laughs> Just when I think I've said something so weird, you say you knew what I was going to say. I'm sorry, Casey. Go okay. ahead. So, different area. Yeah. Same, same rapist. Same, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So the difference between this rape and the others is that the victim is actually able to give a description of her attacker. The previous victims had not. He'd covered his face. <laughs> yeah, it covered enough. I mean, they mm-hmm. had vague information, yeah. but nothing, nothing yeah. of any tangible sort. So she is able to describe him as a tall blonde man in his 20s. Mm-hmm. And then she's actually able to work with the police and they are able to come up with a composite sketch that is then released to the public and published in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. So they've got a lead now. They yeah. know what this guy approximately looks like. So um, the Canadian p- police start questioning men who fit the description. Um, they ask the public for tips, you know, and then they'll check out these tips based on, on what people do. So they bring in hundreds of people, hundreds right. of men. Yeah. Tall one man in his twenties yeah. that fits a lot of people, and it's a big area that they're looking for. Right. So, I mean, the Toronto area, all I mean, this is all even the Niagara Falls. It's all highly populated. There's millions of people that live there, so there's tons and tons of people to go through. So, two separate tips were filed that the man that they were looking for was none other than Paul Bernardo. Mm-hmm. The first tip was from a bank teller who thought that the sketch looked like Paul. So she had seen him and just said that that guy looks like him. So the mm. second tip was the wife of a friend of Paul's. And she thought that Paul fit the description. And she was aware that he had uh, proclivities for rough sex. Whoa. Well, how'd she know that? Apparently it's something that he would brag about to his friends. Ew. Ew. And so, like, they were all aware. And apparently they were a rough crowd. So when and I so, mentioned like, earlier that he seemed a little rapey, I was right was on. Was probably right on track, yeah. <laughs> Brandy's giving this face like, I hate to be a genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just can't imagine me like, yeah, I'm really into choking my... Yeah. Lady. I don't know. I don't think that's what he said. But I mean, I think it says something that all they had to go on was tall, blonde, man, 20s. And these women were so creeped out by this guy that they were like, "Mm, I think it's this guy. Sounds like Mm -hmm. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. So the police weren't sure if they should take her tips seriously. They said her phrasing was very stilted and awkward and they just weren't sure if it was credible. They were afraid that she was trying to be, you know, get the reward money. So there was actually a reward. And so they thought that just the way that the tip was filed, that she didn't seem very genuine or they, so they just kind of were like, oh, okay. So they just put it in a file. But after doing some file reviews, they did decide to go ahead and bring Paul in for questioning, but not until November of 1990. So between when the, this several months before they they bring him in for questioning. So they do bring him in. Um, The police ask him why they thought he had been brought in. And Paul admits right there, he's like, I look like that sketch. That guy looks like me. Mm-hmm. But I promise I haven't been raping anyone. <laughs> yeah. So. I super swear. Paul is in this interview with these two detectives for a total of 35 minutes. Oh, my gosh. They found him to be forthcoming and cooperative. Of course they did. He's very charming. And he even voluntarily left a DNA sample. Wow. Mm. So after that was over, the police determined that he was not a suspect. And they moved on. So DNA evidence is all very new at this time. So yeah. I don't know how well that worked. They were able to determine, I think, 
from things that he w- the person they were looking for was a non-secretor. Oh, which yeah, that's, apparently that's how they used to do it. Only yeah. 12% of the population or something like that Okay, is th- yeah. that way. So they were able to narrow it down some, but because of backlog, and I can't even imagine forensic labs were that established at this point either. Mm-hmm. Did so. they try Kristen's idea of the taste test? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. So the Nobody DNA, wants to be that police officer. <laughs> the DNA samples were just... Tasted disgusting. <laughs> I mean, they just went by the wayside. It, nothing was tested, anything like that. You guys are so gross. <laughs> Can we add some blueberries to it? <laughs> okay, so on June 29th of 1991, we're back in the main story now here. Just six months after the death of Tammy, Carla and Paul get married. So six months later, they're getting married after. Mm. I mean, that seems very fast to me, but. Yeah. I guess if they already had it planned. Right. Right. So it was a huge affair. Very frilly. Is early 90s type of wedding. So, you know, she's wearing the big poofy sleeves and the giant skirt. Mm -hmm. Her dress. Some kind of like headdress. She's got some crazy headdress with like things dangling off of it. Oh, yeah. It's just, the dress is like three times the size of her, so she just looks like an enormous cupcake in all yeah. these videos. So, um, the style. <laughs> <laughs> there was even a horse-drawn carriage. Oh, my they God. They literally left the church in a horse-drawn carriage. Oh, my God. Yes. Brandy, are you taking notes? No, I am. <laughs> I think you and David need to get married this way. <laughs> if you don't look like a cupcake, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so following the wedding, Carla and Paul honeymooned in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And again, there's tons of video footage of this stuff because mm-hmm. Paul just has that camera everywhere. Right. And they they just look so happy. They're, they look perfect. They're two blonde people. They're so pretty. Everybody, like... They look, like Ken they look like Ken and Barbie. That is an apt description. I mean, like, they look like early 90s Ken and Barbie. Yeah. So, you know, she's got the big so blonde wind, hair. Like a, a windbreaker suit? <laughs> <laughs> there are photos from me from many a family vacation in a windbreaker. <laughs> so on the day of the wedding in nearby Lake Gibson, a father and son are out on a fishing expedition. They found the remains of a young girl. She had been dismembered, and each part of her body was encased in a block of cement. Mm. Oh. She was later identified as 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey from Burlington, Ontario, which is about halfway between Toronto and Port de Lucie. Hmm. Weird. She had been missing since June 15th, when she had been locked out of her house for missing curfew after attending Uh, the wake of a friend. Oh, God. Oh, no. So, I didn't put this in here, but some of the notes say that she's kind of a wild child, really rebellious. Yeah, and like her, she, parents her parents were going like, to get along. They were going to teach her a lesson. Her a lesson I felt that was like, I don't know. I left it out. I wasn't sure. But well, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, not her fault. It's, and it's not their fault. No. Yeah. But you, oh. as a parent, if that happened, that would, you would, yes, that, you would, just you would never recover. Terrible. No. Yes. Be terrible. So her retainer was also encased in the concrete blocks. And that is what proved instrumental in identifying her body. Oh, oh my God. Oh. So forensics was able to determine that she had been sexually assaulted mm-hmm. in a manner consistent with the rapes in the area. So, mm-hmm. um, so now they think the Scarborough rapist has escalated, has escalated to a murder. Yes. Yeah. So um, they quickly were able to link the crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the public is just terrified. This rapist who's 
been raping a lot, but he hasn't been killing anybody, has now killed somebody. Yeah. So, and the police still, while they have the lead, they have the photo, they still don't have a solid suspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, the following April, a body of a girl was found in the woods nearby. She was naked and had been strangled with an electrical cord. She was identified as Kristen French, a 15-year-old girl who had been missing for about two weeks. Oh, God. She's so young. I know. That's what I was so just young. thinking. They're so They're young. They're so young. She had been abducted after school one day on her walk home. Oh. And there were actually several witnesses to her abduction, but no one was able to identify a suspect or a vehicle. One woman said she thought it was a Camaro. Uh-huh. But it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they're looking for Camaro owners and it's oh, not God. it's not what it is. The manner of death and the disposal of the body are significantly different than that of Leslie Mahaffey. So the cases are not linked. Mm-hmm. They don't suspect that it's. Well, yeah, the disposal is completely, it's completely different. different. You wouldn't think that someone would dismember someone like in such a specific manner. Right. And then go to just dumping a body. Right. Mm-hmm. So in the woods. In December of 1992, Paul does something really stupid. And this is what ultimately... More stupid than giving a DNA sample? Well, I'm more stupid, yes. Because this is what ultimately what's, what causes his downfall. In an argument, Paul beat Carla severely with a flashlight. Oh, okay. Ugh. So she goes to work after a few days on January 3rd with huge bruises all over her mm-hmm. face and right. her body. Her coworkers are immediately concerned. They're like, what happened to you? What's going on? Why do you look like this? And she said she was in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, no, no you, you weren't. weren't. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. So they call her parents and tell them about what's going on, that mm-hmm. she came to work like this. She looks like she's been beat up. So her parents come to physically remove her from the home and rescue her from Paul because mm-hmm. they think she's been beaten up and her yeah. husband's abusive. And yeah. yeah. So she puts up a fight initially. She's running, trying to get away from them, running back into the house. She's searching frantically for something, but they're not sure what it is, and she can't ever find what she's looking for. Mm. So she ends up leaving with them. Mm-hmm. They take her to a hospital where they have her injuries documented, and then she's able to go to the police where she makes a statement alleging that she is a battered spouse. Mm-hmm. And then they, they filed charges against Paul for beating her up. Yeah. Um, and he was arrested. And shortly thereafter, though, he is released on his own recognizance, mm-hmm. and Carla's moved in with relatives. Wow. So, finally, at this point, the Scarborough police have run the DNA samples. Three years later. Not wow. a moment too soon. <laughs> so, they were on the back burner that long, and they finally got through the backlog. I uh-huh. mean, at this point, because the rapes had stopped in Scarborough, I guess they just kind of thought, eh, uh-huh. Uh, I guess it's not that important yikes. anymore. So they did go ahead and run them. And wouldn't you know it, Paul Bernardo comes back as yeah, a match no on those geez. DNA samples. Yes. So the police immediately put him under 24-hour surveillance, but they don't arrest him right away. Why? So at this point, so this is what I didn't get, couldn't. Find like exactly a clear, answer, a clear answer, answer. Yeah, but they say in the documentary. I don't know how true this is, yeah. but that the police have at this point put together that they think that Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French are also connected okay. to the Scarborough rapist. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. they've connected these deaths with the rapes, which they have plenty of evidence on the rapes. But they want to be able. To but get they want to be able too. to get yeah. them for the murders too, yeah. and there's just not enough. They know they won't get a conviction with what they've got. Okay. So they know this until 
Carla walks into police headquarters. Mm -hmm. So Carla goes to police headquarters and she has an interview that takes place over several hours. She told the detectives that she is afraid for her life. Paul forced her to commit these horrible, unspeakable acts or he made her help him rape these Mm -hmm. these young girls and that she didn't want to comply, but he was going to kill her if she didn't. He had forced her to help him abduct, rape and torture and kill both Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. She made real sure that she got to control the narrative there. She sure did. And on top of that, you know, they had videotaped mm-hmm. the whole thing. Oh. Oh, God. So, one thing here. Officially, there's only the, the two victims. Yeah. There is a third possible victim who went missing at this around the same time and was found six months later in Lake Ontario. Mm-hmm. But the body was so badly decomposed at that point that there was n- not any way to determine if she had been sexually assaulted. Uh-huh. She went missing in the same area. She was their type. It's strongly suspected that she was a victim of theirs, but... But couldn't tire. Couldn't tire, too. Carla, during this interview, talks about, you know, how she's... He made her do all these things. She's videotaping it. She's trying to be, you know, caring, as caring as possible to these victims that, you know, she's telling them, you know, it's going to be over soon. She says she gave one of them a teddy bear, you know, to to tell her, you know, I'm... I'm going to take care of you. We're, you know, you're going to be okay. She didn't want to be doing this that Paul was making her, you know, that this is just disgusting. Mm, Yeah. So in this interview, she expressed her desire to do whatever it took to put Paul away, Mm -hmm. that she wanted to cooperate in any way to help them secure a conviction against Mm -hmm. him. So the police knew that they didn't have enough with what they had. So they definitely needed her testimony and they need the videotapes. Right. Right? Right. Does she have them? She does not have them. Where are they at? That's the thing. Now we're getting, we'll get okay. to that. Okay. okay. So See what I mean, Casey? She can't <laughs> keep her pants on. So they make a deal with her. Okay. So mm. the deal is tell us everything you know, mm-hmm. and we will give you a break in your sentence. <sighs> Initially, Carla and her lawyer wanted full immunity, mm-hmm. but the police said that not a fucking chance. With her involvement, even as a battered wife, that is just not possible. Yeah. So Carla did end up agreeing to the deal. And over the next several days, she gave a videotape confession to all of their crimes. Do we get to hear the specifics of the deal? Like, we get to hear how much time she agreed yep. to? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll keep my pants on. So they the get her... down your thighs, Lindy. <laughs> <laughs> so over the next several days, they get her videotape confession to all of their crimes. Uh-huh. So this deal only applies if she admits to all of the acts that she and Paul committed. Uh-huh. And this includes what really happens to her sister, Tammy. To Tammy. Uh-huh. This is the first time that anybody hears about what happened to Tammy. And did they have the deal of, like, if we find anything new, then this deal is off and you're screwed for... Oh, okay. Nope. Okay. Mm-hmm. No. Nope. When Paul and Carla met, he was upset that she was not a virgin. Oh, great. Which, that's disgusting. Oh, my gosh. I forgot that's why this happens. This is horrible. <laughs> so, very quickly into their relationship, he starts to obsess over Tammy. Oh, God. Young Tammy. He would spy on her through the windows. Ew. He would enter her room and masturbate while she was sleeping. Gross. He even enlisted Carla's help by having her break the blinds so he could have easier access. Oh, my God. So for Christmas in 1990, right after they get engaged, 
Carla decided to give Tammy's virginity to Paul as a Ew, gift. What the yeah. fuck? Yeah. <laughs> she stole halothane from the animal clinic that she worked for, and they spiked Tammy's drinks with sleeping pills. Oh. Once she was out, Carla applied halothane-soaked rag to Tammy's nose and mouth to ensure that she stayed unconscious. Paul then proceeded to rape Tammy, both vaginally and anally, and he forced Carla to perform oral sex on her. Oh, while the camera was rolling. So in the process of all this, Tammy starts to vomit, and then she stops breathing. Carla and Paul attempt to revive her, and then they call 911, but not before they clean up the evidence, redress Tammy, and move her back to her bedroom. Yeah. So the burns on her face were not from her stomach acid. Of course not. Yeah. So obviously, the police had not been expecting this. They had no clue that Tammy was even... Yeah. A murder victim. Yeah. 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 I mean, really. So they arrest Paul and they charge him with both of the rapes and the murders of Leslie Mahaffey, Kristen French, and Tammy Homolka. For some reason, the murder of Tammy Homolka is not ever, like, tried. tried. Yeah. Mm. So I'm not 100% sure why not, but... Sometimes when they feel like they've got, got enough, they, on yeah, somebody they just yeah, go they on just one. Jump. Yeah. So they did not try him for the murder of Tammy Homolka, even though he was arrested for that. Mm, yeah. So they opened the investigation into Tammy's death, though, and the chief coroner of Ontario ordered exhumation of her body. Mm -hmm. So at this time, they perform a second autopsy, and the toxicology report showed the presence of both halcyon, which is a sedative, that's Mm -hmm. what they put in her drinks to knock her out, Mm -hmm. and halothane, which is a general anesthetic, so keeps her knocked out, keeps her free from pain, Mm -hmm. you know, so she's not going to, like, wake up in the middle of it. Mm. But... Neither of these drugs were tested for in the first autopsy, and the presence right. of either one would have indicated foul play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the combination of the two is ultimately what led to her her heart to stop beating, her mm-hmm. to stop breathing. So, Ugh. so Carla pled guilty to manslaughter. Oh my gosh! And was sentenced to twelve years for her role in each of the deaths of Leslie and Kristen. But the sentences were to be served concurrently. Mm-hmm. And she would be eligible for parole in just three and a half years. <gasps> the judge in the case also ordered a media ban on Carla's plea agreement and sentencing so as not to taint the jury pool for the upcoming trial of Paul. That's probably yeah. good. Yeah. So Carla gets sentenced and she starts serving her time. Somewhere in there, she files for divorce. They are officially divorced, so um, she's just waiting for the time she has to testify against Paul. But Paul's trial keeps getting pushed back. Mm -hmm. So it's the videotapes. They know these tapes exist. Mm -hmm. They need to find find them. They actually searched their house for two months and cannot find these tapes. They cannot find them. Isn't there like a hidey hole or something? Yeah, so it turns out that Paul tells his lawyer where the tapes are. Oh. They are hidden in a ceiling tile up above their bathroom, uh-huh. which they was a false. Okay. Like, yeah, there's like, yeah. a drop ceiling. Yeah. yeah, something like that. They was a place that wasn't searched and wasn't easily findable. So Paul told his lawyer where they were, and the lawyer goes to get the tapes, <gasps> and then he holds them <gasps> for seventeen months. Oh, my. he has these tapes. That the prosecution knows exist and knows are somewhere, but he will not turn them over. 
What are the rules on that? Yeah. I mean, I that's illegal, right? I, I feel like it should be, right? And so at, at this point, they're monitoring all of their calls uh-huh. together, like between the lawyer and him, which I, how is you that? That's pri- that's I know that that would be privileged information. Yeah. So, of course, this but is that's Kanata, what it says. It so says that <laughs> <laughs> the article I read definitely said that they were wiretapping all their communications. Yes, so I think that's they, definitely illegal, too. I yeah. can't imagine it is. So the lawyer says he doesn't know what to do. I mean, I think. Do they call him like wink winkies? <laughs> I got the wink winkies. What should I? Where should so I after the 17 months, he does hand the videos over to the prosecution. But that was my as he does him. it, he uses it as an op- opportunity to withdraw himself from the case. He's like, oh, you have these tapes. I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. Wow. So, side note, I didn't write this down, but he was actually prosecuted for obstruction of justice at some point after this okay. trial. So, yeah, you can't do this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> However, he was acquitted. Oh, okay. So. Hmm. Maybe because he eventually did turn it over. Yeah, and yeah. I think one of the things I saw, I don't know if this is true or not either, he was not only charged with uh, um, obstruction of justice, they also charged him with child pornography because the for videos show. <gasps> He did possess them for a really long time. Girls being raped. I mean, wow. yeah. Wow. So, he was acquitted. So yeah. what, for whatever reason, the jury says that what he did was okay. I don't know. But, so they finally get the tapes. I th- I, Beck, I, I feel like there is a fine line of like, what's the, what am I allowed to do to protect my client? I don't know. You well, know and that's funny? the thing is why he, why Paul told him about where the tapes were because he wanted to make sure that his lawyer got them and not the prosecutor. Yeah. But yeah, don't you have to turn over all evidence, whether it's good or bad? Um, I mean, do you- I wish I'd gone to all the semesters of law school <laughs> and I almost did a case about this. There's a really fascinating case where this murderer eventually told his attorney about where these other bodies were Mm -hmm. and the attorney kept that information to himself and it became a big like groundbreaking case Mm -hmm. you know obviously I can't tell you any more than that (laughs) Um, but you yeah I my understanding was that you could tell a defense attorney just about anything and they don't privileged information yeah it's privileged information but then but at the same time a video of you doing the thing surely that's not privileged i yeah, I don't know. It's. Whew. I would think that he, they would have to turn it over. I'm surprised that he held them for so long and didn't just destroy them. Right. Oh. And just God say, he hey, I never had these. Yeah, yeah. Thank God he didn't. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so he withdraws from the case and Paul has to get a new lawyer. So that's delayed the case by quite a bit. So now it's 1995. Mm-hmm. And he's finally on trial as trial starts. And the Crown Prosecutor, Ray Houlihan, opens the case. By showing a segment of the footage featuring a naked Carla masturbating with the close-up zooming in on her vagina. Oh, my gosh. You really start out with a bed <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. the courtroom is in absolute shock. Yeah. The video goes on to show Carla and Paul role-playing a king and his sex slave. Ew. Carla continues to try to excite Paul in the video by going into a long, detailed fantasy of procuring a 13-year-old virgin for him to rape. Ew. Oh, my God. Oh, my so God. So this may seem like a strange way to treat your star witness because, you know, she's testifying against him. 
Um, and the fate of this trial rests heavily on her testimony. Right. Yeah. And the jury obviously needs to feel some amount of sympathy towards her, but it's kind of hard to do when you see a video like that. So Houlihan then tells the jury that the reason he's showing them this footage is to illustrate just how depraved Paul is. He says this scene is an excellent example of just how Paul controlled Carla. He told her what to do, what to say, how to act, how to cater to his every whim. That the scenes, does it show that, or does it that show the that scenes Carla- were largely? He, the prosecutor, claims that the scenes were largely scripted by Paul, mm-hmm. and so that that she would say the things that he wanted her to say to get him excited and to yeah yeah. I mean, I get that, I do, but it also seems to me like she's it shows her as a way more willing participant right. than she. So Carla took to, to the be. stand shortly after to go into detail about what the jurors had just seen and heard. She told of years of abuse and degradation, mm-hmm. how no matter what she did, uh, he, how low she stooped, no matter what she let him do to her, it was never enough to please him. He called her names and he told her she was worthless and told her that she would be nothing without him. Mm-hmm. However, as the jury was soon to find out, the videos, once played in detail, show a far different story. Carla had been downplaying her role extremely. She is seen on tape as a willing participant in the rapes and tortures of the three girls. Mm. She rapes them as well, not just him. She tortures them. They even show her enjoying herself and laughing and playing. Oh, God. She and Paul, they just seem to feed. And she's already locked down this deal. They just seem to feed off of each other's energy. Yes, so they, she's already sentenced in serving her time nearing her parole opportunity yeah she's already been in jail for several years at this point there's no going back on that deal Mm. so one of the earliest tapes shows paul and carla having sex in front of the fireplace in the basement of her parents house the footage was taken just three weeks after tammy's death Mm mm-hmm and Carla's wearing Tammy's clothes and pretending to be her. Ew. Oh, oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. That was horrifying. Yes. Yeah. So there's this back and forth, you know. Paul said that the deaths of Leslie and Kristen were accidental. He mm-hmm. never intended to kill them. He was going to let them go. Um, but Carla ended up killing them. And Carla obviously says that Paul killed the girls. The, right. more, the murders themselves, the deaths of these girls are not on tape. Right. So it's his word against mm-hmm. hers. It's just the rape and the torture. They don't actually film when the girls are dying. When uh, Kristen was strangled and Leslie, they don't actually know what specifically right, was the cause was... of death because she was decapitated and dismembered. Mm-hmm. So Bernardo's attorney was able to knock Carla's credibility quite a bit. He did make her appear to be cold and callous. and that her I bet that was really hard for him to I, do. <laughs> no, probably not, <laughs> after seeing those videos. Yeah. Um, that her battered spouse defense was just an act, that yeah. she played everybody, that it wasn't, you know, genuine. You do wonder, though, right? I mean... How much it did play into. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, I, I mean, I, I definitely think... There has to be some. There part has to of be that. some element yeah. of it. Yeah. Yes, she absolutely. Was definitely conditioned, and yeah, sure. and she was groomed from a pretty young age yeah. by this mm-hmm. older guy. So I do, I do struggle with I how do, sympathetic. I, agree. I think it's a, it is a weird struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's just I read an article on this. I didn't write anything down for it, but on the gray area of this case, there because is. it is so much. 
there are lots of battered women out there who never go on to cause anybody any harm whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then in a case like this, she clearly is enjoying herself, but is it because he taught her to? Right. Yeah. I think because yeah. she's not experienced when she meets him and yeah. And he and teaches that, her what pleases him, and so she starts to see it as normal because it sounds like yeah, this is the stuff that that's, they talk about all the yeah. time. They, they, yeah, yeah. It's such a it is such a gray area. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I didn't go into that they do sh- they do show um, during the court case is there is actually another victim in this. Um, she was not murdered, uh-huh. but she's a girl that worked with um, Carla, and she. Was she like a willing participant? Originally? No, she wasn't. So okay. she was a 15-year-old girl who worked at the animal clinic oh. with Carla. Um, Carla invited her over to hang out, just the two of them. They were going to hang out and have fun. And so they had food, and she ends up putting sleeping pills in her food. Mm-hmm. And the girl falls asleep, and then Paul comes home and rapes her. Uh-huh. Um, but she's knocked out. And yeah. so Carla cleans her up, and she wakes up the next morning feeling sore and oh, kind of oh, no she has no her. idea what's Holy happened to her. Shit. But they have it on video. Oh my god. Um, yeah, so this girl has no idea that this has happened to her. And oh. she's she's just listed as Jane Doe, but they do show the footage in the courtroom. Oh my god. And I can't Holy even imagine finding out no. afterwards that, that this horrible thing has happened to you by these terrible people. Yeah. Oh my god. And you had no Holy idea. Holy shit. So, the attorney is able to, you know, knock Carla's credibility, yeah. and they, they really make her look bad in court, and obviously the videos make her look bad, too, but it was not enough. The jury was horrified and outraged at Paul's crimes, Yeah, and they found him guilty on all charges. Mm-hmm. He's sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after really? 25 years. Oh. However... He is given a designation that they have in Canada, Wales, and England called a dangerous offender. So what it means is that it's a convicted person can be held for an indeterminate amount of time, even if they've served the amount of time they were sentenced for. Wow. Oh. So because he's given this designation, it means that even though after 25 years he could be eligible for parole, he is seen as a risk to the public that he will reoffend and he will hurt more people. So mm-hmm. it is likely his parole will be denied every time because he has this designation. That designation. I like that. I do yeah. too. So he did become eligible for parole in February of 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, in October of that year, he was denied parole. Good. So he's currently being held in the Millhaven Institution, which is a prison in Bath, Ontario. He does have to be held in solitary confinement for his own protection because mm. he has been. He's very high he's profile. Very high profile. And, uh, he has been. And he's a child rapist. Multiple yeah. times, yes. So and he will likely have to continue that way for the rest of his life. And he is 55 years old right now. Wow. Can't say I feel bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> no. So Carla served her full 12-year sentence. She did serve all 12 she years. She did sell, serve all 12 years. Um, she applied for parole at one point and was denied and then never applied again. Mm-hmm. Um, she was deemed to be danger to the public, and so her parole attempts were denied. I just said that, duh. Okay. <laughs> That's my thing, to after the trial, <laughs> So after the trial, the public is outraged about this case, you know, when the details yeah. finally get out, because yeah. they haven't really known what happened in the first sentencing, even though all the rapes and the murders were pretty high profile, there was the media ban, yeah. and so 
Um, the details are out now, and they are absolutely furious that Carla was allowed to take a deal yeah. and serve so little time, basically 12 years for two murders. I mean, three, really. Yeah. So the media referred to it as the deal with the devil. Wow. Ooh. So Carla, even while she was in prison, received death threats. And so they transferred her to a prison in Montreal where um, she was less famous, less well-known, you know, yeah. less high profile. So near the time of her release, after she served her 12 years, the Attorney General of Ontario fought to have the dangerous offender designation applied to Carla. So this would allow them, even after her release, to, to hold, keep track she, of her whereabouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He f- so much like a sex offender registry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he felt that Carla, being bilingual, would easily be able to slip into obscurity in Quebec. She, oh, she speak French too. She does speak French also. Hmm. So the and they were afraid that the people she interacted with would be completely unaware of who she was and what she'd done. Yeah, and like her violent past, and they need to be on guard when dealing with her. Clearly, so yeah. um, an Ontario judge did agree with this, and he placed her under the following restrictions after her release. First one is that she must provide her home address, work address, and the names of all the people she lives with to the police and notify them of any changes in those situations. If she planned to leave her home for more than 48 hours, she must notify the police of where she was going and with whom at least 72 hours before said trip. She could have absolutely no contact with Paul Bernardo, Leslie Mahaffey's family, Kristen French's family, or any other violent criminals. The only violent criminal in there is Paul Bernardo. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. Leslie yeah. Mahaffey's no, family's not violent, or yeah. Christopher. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. I know what you meant. <laughs> and I weirded it. I worded it weird. Yeah. So, okay, so she was also not to be around anybody under the age of sixteen. What if she has children? I, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't go into details of that. So, she also could not use any drugs other than ones that were prescribed by her doctor. Uh-huh. She must see. Isn't that true for everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She must seek therapy and she must provide the police with a DNA sample. Yeah. That they'll test in three years. (laughs) Right. Any violation of these restrictions would carry a maximum two year prison sentence. So if she violates any of these things, she goes back to jail for two more years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Still doesn't seem like very much, but. No. So after her release. And she's released in Quebec. So yeah. she petitions the court there. That's where she settles down. That's where she's going to live. Mm-hmm. She petitions the court in Quebec for removal of these limitations. So it's a different court system yeah. than Ontario. <gasps> Do they give it to her? <laughs> she maintained that the restrictions made it too easy for the press to hound her. They are able to easily find her and harass her. And all she wanted to do, she's, paid, she's paid her debt to society. <laughs> and she can just seeking a quiet life where she can move on. The court agreed with her. They find, found the restrictions to be unjustified. Whew. The Department of Justice appealed the decision, but it was upheld by the appellate court. Wow. So Carla moved to Guadalupe, which is an island in the Antilles, the Antilles, and changed her name. She married the brother of her lawyer, and oh. she now has three children. Wow. At some point, she has returned to Canada. She's now living in Quebec without her husband or her children. Where are her husband and children? It doesn't say. I have no idea. I'm sure I, they're alive. Don't make that face. I'm sure they're alive. They're just not, they're not together or. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the story of the Ken and Barbie killers. Holy oh, shit. That's, 
Oh, that, that was fucking was... terrible. You did great, though. <laughs> you did a great job. That was oh. very disturbing. I always get caught up on, like, how to feel about her. Like, how I much know. How much of it was just she was a victim, too, yeah. versus yeah, but how so, much, okay. at what point do you hold someone responsible for what they've done? My issue with her, uh-huh. my biggest issue, she's obviously a terrible person, but my biggest issue with her is that she pretty much single-handedly killed her sister. She's the one who drugged her. Mm. He raped her. Yes, that's terrible. But yeah. she allowed him to. He yeah. didn't administer the drugs. He didn't choke her. And as far as the grooming goes, that was in the very early part of their relationship. Before he could have had. I mean, they weren't living together. She yeah. was still living at home with her parents. <sighs> he couldn't yeah. have been. I, I, mean, I, I do think know. there's an argument that a lot there of her behavior comes Absolutely. from being groomed by him, being abused by him. But that happened very early yeah, on in so their the, relationship. Yeah, and so the documentary, the autopsy episode, talks about how they think that if she had never met Paul, she probably never would have done any of this yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. That she just... Hmm. That the two of them in together combined to form this crazy personality hmm. that just fed on each other yeah. and just... I mean, yeah, she had, uh, she had the forethought to know that she could, if she went to the police, she could control. She could control it. Well, yeah, and with Kristen French, the second girl that they murdered, uh-huh. um, she actually helped him abduct her. Uh-huh. She distracted her, asked for her um, directions. She walked uh-huh. up to her with a map while Paul attacked her from behind and dragged her into their car. Um, initially when Paul abducted Leslie, he lured her into her, his car for cigarettes and then he blindfolded her and took her home and then told Carla that they had a new plaything. So she was definitely much more complicit in the abduction of the first, the second girl than the first one. Paul claims that because Leslie was wearing a blindfold, he always intended to let her go and that Carla killed her in a fit of rage, but there's I mean, jealousy, nobody, right? Wasn't right, that jealousy? Claim? Yes, yeah. mm-hmm, that she was jealous that he was so infatuated with his plaything. Oh, gotta hate that. Um, I everything I know about this case comes from the movie, the movie. Carla. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a real problem with it. <laughs> Their kitchen in the movie had granite countertops and stainless steel appliances in nineteen, which would not have been the case in nineteen ninety. No, throw that movie out. <laughs> That's a Formica countertop that should be That's there. exactly right. And those yeah, are right. wood cabinets yeah. for sure. I'm thinking black uh, appliances. And black, black or even white. Like yeah, off-white white. would have been very popular mm-hmm. at the time, too. Yeah, yeah, black was like kind of cutting edge. It was. Yeah. yeah. My Nobody family had, had stainless steel appliances black refrigerator. Yet. I'm not trying to brag. I'm I, just telling you <laughs> how fancy we were. <laughs> yeah, I had to have the wallpaper with the what? You guys always had the fancy appliance. What was the fancy appliance? Trash compactor. <laughs> you were always into our trash I compactor. I was obsessed with your trash compactor. <laughs> was that a Brighton thing? Because Karen's house had a trash I compactor, too. I assume so, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, it's so funny. I'm just now remembering. Yeah, you would always run the trash I compactor. I love to run it, and I like to empty it. Because it comes out in, like, a perfect square. <laughs> You know what's a tragedy? What? You don't have one today. I do not. There's you no way one of those would fit in my fit kitchen. One in kitchen. Well, don't my bring that up. a shoebox. 
Okay, your next house, which will be in Prairie Village. That's you know, right. It's going to have a trash compactor. Yeah. Do they even still make those? Is that a thing I don't still? know. What is it? My parents' house in Belton had a trash compactor. I'm getting a fucking trash compactor. I know. I, I think this is an achievable <laughs> dream for you. I want to make it happen. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I grew up in a house with a trash compactor. I don't need one today. Yeah. I don't know. I was never that Do you that remember thrilled. at Tuckaway when we lived there, they had that giant trash yes! compactor? Okay. Oh it was a dumpster trash compactor. You took your bags down there, and then you had to hit the button, and it went, and it oh, was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it made noises just like that. <laughs> Did you, like, take your trash down individually just to watch it No, run? it was way better if you had a big bag of trash. Like a body? I mean, how many bodies? <laughs> it was the size of a dumpster, so, like, you could pull, toss yeah. lots and lots of bags yeah, in there, and put, it would do yeah, it. You take, you, okay. Ladies, this I'm what saying. That's what you do. You get, like, four trash bags. You take them all down there at once, put them in there, pile them in there, so you got, like, a, a mound of trash yeah, bags. Yeah, I see. Uh-huh. And you hit that button. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> What kind of safety measures were taken around this thing? I think you could have easily fallen into it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like, this seems like a yeah. terrible oh, thing. Oh, yeah. For sure yes, you could you fall could into definitely have fallen into it. <laughs> yeah. Whew. I'm excited to talk about the <laughs> All these years later, just the thought of it. You're so jazzed. Well... Should we take some questions from the Discord, yes, ladies? Yes, we should. Yeah, I let the people know that you were here with us, Casey. All right. Ooh, Gadriel asks, what's a snack food you'd wish they'd bring back? Are you hankering for some oh my like early 90s snack? Yeah, what there's so that? many. Butterfinger BBs? Oh, yeah. I love those. Those things get stuck in your teeth. Yeah. And yeah, you no, get, thank you. You got candy all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 3D Doritos. Oh, yeah. We always had those. I, what I miss are the Cheetos that were in the shape of a paw. <gasps> those yes. things were so good. I remember those. <laughs> okay. Those were, good. those were good. I'm sorry for shading this question. <laughs> Apparently, there are what, things. How, like, about a, how about a Dunkaroo? Those are supposed to be coming back. I didn't love Dunkaroos. <laughs> Wrong. I loved I loved the nasty little cheese breadstick. Oh, oh yeah, the handy snacks. snacks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I like those. Those oh, still exist. <laughs> do you remember? They also had the little crackers, and it came with that with little, little red spatula. Yeah, so you could spread yeah. it on there. Yeah, because you were fancy. That's, That's right. right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. With your cheese that didn't need to be refrigerated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't question that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Shanna wants to know, Casey, what's an embarrassing brandy story? I'm sure there's none of those. I God, I don't know any embarrassing stories. Nothing ever. Like, she does stupid stuff all the time. Like, everybody does, but it never sticks with me. Doesn't, My yeah. stupid stuff lives forever in our family. It's true. Forever. Like, like what? It's 100. Um, one time. <laughs> oh, my God. I love how this is turned around. Yeah, one exactly. Time, there was a dead squirrel in the road. <laughs> okay. And Casey said... Oh my god, is that a deer paw? <laughs> like a deer was just running along and its paw fell I was 12, and I think that's oh, unfair. Yeah, okay, so we say deer paw in the family to tease okay. her. Yes, a lot. However, do you remember that picture of 
Rosie, Kyla's yes, dog, yes. brought back a fucking deer paw. Yeah, yes. so a deer paw's a thing. It is a thing. Casey was vindicated by that. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, guys, so. You gotta tell that story. So many years ago, this is so weird. Many years ago, it was around Christmas time, Norman and I were out at my parents' place, and Kyla and Jay had flown to Connecticut to see his family, and we were all watching their dog, Rosie. And we were going for a walk, and my parents had some property, so it was off-leash, and we saw Rosie at the front door of their house with, like, this big stick in her mouth. And as we got closer, we realized she had a fucking deer leg in her oh mouth. God. Yeah, you sent me the picture of it, and then I sent it to Casey, and I was like, look, it's a deer <laughs> Okay, so embarrassing brandy stories. The only thing I can really think of, there was one time we were at the mall, mm-hmm. and, you know, they put in those new escalators at outside of Nordstrom. <laughs> yeah. So Brandy cannot do escalators. She's I, terrified. I have a serious escalator phobia. So she's trying to Always get on the escalator. Not. I'm standing behind her waiting for her to go. She cannot go. It's like five <laughs> minutes and I'm just sitting there like at this point I'm on the floor laughing because she's just keeps starting and stopping, starting and stopping. <laughs> yeah. There's people who are looking at her like she's crazy. They're trying to go around her. <laughs> and she seriously, it took her like seven or eight minutes to get on the escalator. And I'm just dying laughing. I don't like Hysterically escalators. in the mall. I can go up. <laughs> I can't come back down. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I have been sitting here just like slack-jawed because I have memories of going on the escalators at Oak Park Mall mm-hmm. with you. But when I think about it, I always think about us going up. Yeah, and then I down. would conveniently lead us to the stairs that went down. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, it goes back to when I was like a little kid. Mm-hmm. I was My grandma used to take us to the mall to do like mall walking. Right. Yeah, when, sure. Before they would open, we'd walk yeah, around yeah. the mall. And mm-hmm. she, I, like she... I think you were there. She and Casey got on the escalator, went down. I was still at the fucking top, terrified. <laughs> Some man brought me down. Oh, God. Yeah. So to this day, you just hem and haw at the top of an it escalator. Takes me a minute. So like when David and I are forced to take an escalator, he goes first. And then he like <laughs> makes himself big in case I fall. <laughs> See, you're afraid of falling down the escalator. So many things. I'm afraid of falling. Say, I'm afraid I'm going to miss the corner of the step and like scrape my heel on that fucking uh-huh, razor sharp uh-huh. part of the I stair. I don't think it's razor sharp. It is. It's like a claw. It it is. Is. I, know, I know it is like a. I'm afraid that part of my clothing is going to get sucked See, into the mega. That's, that's, that's feeling like that's yeah, more that scary. Um, I well, watched yeah, a video a couple years bottoms. of a woman in China who the whole thing, at the, she gets to the top of the thing, and the whole thing just collapses. In, she, she was ingested. Yes, so she pushes her child miraculously out of the way and then just is like, she falls was into the machinery. Yes, it's the most horrifying video you have ever seen of an escalator. Did she survive? No! Oh. No! She did oh. not survive. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Anyway, oh, that's terrible. Anyway, yes, I'm afraid of this question. <laughs> <laughs> Anna Faye wants to know how I told Casey about my pregnancy. This is actually kind of a funny story. <laughs> so. <laughs> it is a funny story. I took my pregnancy test in the middle of the night. Like mm-hmm. the very first pregnancy test I took. Like I had bought it. Actually, David bought it on like a Monday night, but I wanted to wait until Tuesday morning to take it because you're supposed to take it with your morning's first pee for the most accurate results. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. So I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and I was like, yeah. morning's first pee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got to take it. 
And so I took it. And it was positive, whatever. And like I woke David up. It was really cute. We had a whole thing. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Please don't tell us any of those barfy details. <laughs> anyway, the next morning, Casey texted me and she said, I figured out when I'm going to get Lisa for Christmas. I, like, I got her the perfect, I, I, I'm I get her the the perfect, perfect uh-huh. present for her. And I responded with a picture of my positive pregnancy oh, test. And oh. I said, this is what I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> so suck on that. <laughs> she was like, what the fuck? Also, I'm very excited. <laughs> that is sweet. Ooh, my favorite case that you guys have done. See, I really like the finger in the chili case. Oh, yeah, that was Solely fun. because you say tail as old as time in Casey, it, and I could not stop laughing. I laughed he, hysterically. Casey thinks that's the funniest thing you've ever I said on this I think it's the funniest podcast. thing you've ever All said right, on this I'm podcast. done. I'm walking yes. out, and I'm I, I like, and I listen to it again, and I laugh that hard every single time you say it. You know what's kind of sad <laughs> is that that's the funniest thing I've said, and it's one of our earliest episodes. <laughs> You peaked too soon. You peaked too soon. We were just talking about people who peaked in high school. I mean, this is kind of the same thing. Pamela asks, what are acceptable burger toppings? Onions are a no, right, Brandy? (laughs) Yes, onions are a no. She also asks, what about fried eggs, avocado, bacon, condiments? I love an egg on a burger. That, it shocks me that you love an egg on a burger. It's delicious. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree it's delicious, <laughs> but there are so many things she doesn't like, and there's an oozy factor. And Oh, that's so good. Okay. So good. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty, when it comes to condiments, I'm not a big condiment person. I don't like sauces. I, ketchup and mustard, girl. That's it. Just your basic bitch here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, want, I, like, I like a burger with some cheddar, mm-hmm. bacon, an egg if you're feeling frisky, ketchup and mustard. What do you put on your burger? Everything. All of it? All of it. You know me. I there's I will eat this anything. Bitch what, oh, over what, here. What? What? It's mayonnaise on her burger. I do put mayonnaise yeah, on her burger. That's, yeah, that's good. Uh-huh. <gasps> I mean, I like she's it. not making you eat it. <gasps> I do also like a good barbecue burger that has like those onion straws oh, on it too. Yeah, those, yeah. That's mm-hmm, good. That's mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, I think um so mayonnaise on the burger common in Mexico and mayonnaise on hot dogs. I could never yeah. get into that. David puts mayonnaise on his hot dogs. I would put yeah. mayonnaise on a hot dog, too. That, one. that yeah. sounds terrible. <laughs> Brandy, no one's going to force you to do this. You, you don't Nobody's going to make you eat mayonnaise. Why are you making that face? Ugh. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the semen test you're worried about? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Oh, Casey, I feel like this is a good one for you because you keep up with the movies. True Crime and Chill asks, what blockbuster hit from summer 2020 were you most excited to see and super sad that it will not come out? It's not quite um, the summer. Well, uh, Black Widow. Yeah. I, we were excited to see Black Widow and it's uh-huh. gotten pushed back. I mm-hmm. um, uh-huh. feel like it's definitely time for Scarlett Johansson to have her own movie, you know, yeah. or Black Widow to get her own movie. This is the, fir- the second female protagonist and uh-huh. as a main character. But um the new Christopher Nolan movie comes out like next week. What is and it? It's called Tenet. Uh-huh. It stars John David Washington. He's Denzel Washington's son. Oh. He was in Black Klansman. That's what I know him from. Oh. Mm-hmm. Was he the lead? Yeah. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. So it was great. A movie Kristen scene. Hey, there's like five of them and that's one of them. Um so we were really looking forward to that. And obviously theaters here are just opening back up and it's like, do yeah. we go? Yeah, do we not? I mean, yeah. we probably won't go. We'll probably wait for it to be yeah. at home. But it's disappointing because 
Christopher Nolan's movies are always big event movies. They're yeah. made to be seen on IMAX, and so we won't get to see it that way. And so it's yeah. just not the same. Um, I've liked most of his movies, and James loves him. Mm-hmm. So it was something we were definitely looking forward to that we're yeah. not going to enjoy the same way. Casey and James, very into movies, if you guys didn't pick that up. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see um, The Rental, which was supposed to come out this summer. I did see The Rental. Dave Franco's movie. Um, he wrote and directed it. It did get like a drive-in release. Mm-hmm. And you've seen it. We've seen it. did it. get like a, a, a video, video on, on demand. demand. Yeah. So maybe mm-hmm. I'll see it that way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Ooh, Casey, did Kristen and I do any annoying things to you when we were kids? I don't mm. remember spending a lot of time around you guys as kids. Oh. No, because you were cooler and older. Mm. I don't know that I was cooler, but you guys, I was definitely older. And so I just was like, I have my own friends. Mm. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Hm. Wow. I remember your room was always very neat and you had a bulletin board and I thought that was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember, well, because you guys, it wasn't ever really just the two of you. Cause it no, was, we were yeah. always a group Also, of Christine us. and Kyla, and it was, there yeah. were always yeah. like five of you. And yeah, yeah and you did not want to hang kid out. kid two years older does not want to hang out no. with a bunch of, but a even, group of. What about people as cool as us, though, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hate to break it to you. You guys were not cool in high school. Oh, <laughs> wow. Excuse me. I was an editor on the yearbook. <laughs> Now, I was not cool either, but still. <laughs> you were better than the yearbook. <laughs> oh, well, this has been devastating. Yeah. I thought I was cool the whole time. Ooh, Carly What's Her Butt asks, favorite game besides trivia? I love code names. Have you played that? I've seen code names. I've never played it. I actually got my dad this new game for Father's Day? <laughs> question mark. Was that Father's Day? I think Father's Day. Father's Day. Father's Day. <laughs> it's called Linky. Uh-huh. I'm obsessed with it. it was is, this a gift for him or for you? It was for him. Uh-huh. It was also a gift for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's... um. You get four trivia questions. I realize that I this said not trivia, but this isn't standard trivia. Mm-hmm. You get four pretty basic trivia questions asked one at a time on this on a card. And then you have to be able to come up with the answer to all of those questions, but you don't say any of them aloud. Mm-hmm. Once you have the answers, you then have to find the link what those four answers have in common and that's the thing you have to say out loud and then you win the card and the first person that gets all the cards to spell out the word linky wins the game okay that sounds like a very cutthroat wonderful game for your family it's so fun (laughs) i love it brandy loves it because she's won every time she's played I no, Dad beat me last time. Did he beat he you beat last me time? Round last and so time, now yeah. they're not going to play ever again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, the other game we got him for Father's Day was a good one too. Death by trivia. Death by trivia. Yes, it's all questions associated with death and dying and cool. ways to die, like famous crimes, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff like that. It's super fun. And so your goal is so if you get the question right, like your mm-hmm. turn's over, it moves on. If you get the question wrong, you get the card and it has a mode of death on it, a poisoning, a stabbing or a 
shooting. Yeah. And once you have collected three of any of the modes of death, you are now dead and you are attempting to kill the other people who are still alive. Brandy, you look so excited just explaining the rules. I it's love so games. fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. <laughs> Kay Burns yeah. wants to know, what book would you recommend, Casey? Ooh, because okay. the people in the Discord know that you are very into books. Mm-hmm. You're, yeah, you're the book person. I, I'm trying to think. Let me go see what's on my Goodreads recently yeah. read list. I have a problem where I read a lot of things at once, and so after I'm done but, reading them, it just all goes into this. This yeah. woman yeah. is a lunatic. She reads like four books at a time. <laughs> yeah, I read two books at a How time. How do you usually. keep it straight? I, I do don't have fiction and nonfiction. And that's easier. I'm also very smart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I did just finish a book called The Shadows um, by Alex North. It's uh, kind of like a detective mystery novel. It was pretty good. I don't think we're looking for something that's pretty Yeah, we're good looking here. for okay. real, real yeah. good. Okay. The book that you gave me after my surgery, Kristen, mm-hmm. um... The Nightingale? Yes, The Nightingale. By Kristen Hanna? Yes. That book was amazing. Yeah. I cried as hard as I've ever cried from reading a book after that. Boy, great gift to give someone after that. I know, but it was open heart surgery (laughs) where her her sternum has been sawed in half. You know what? I didn't even think of that. It was just like, here's the best book I've read recently. I didn't think about, like, it's horribly depressing. Holy (laughs) hell. No, it was really good. Um, I also just finished recently a book called Happy and You Know It. Mm-hmm. Um, by Laura Hankin. It was really good, too. I liked it. It's about a a musician who takes a gig playing for babies at a playgroup and just kind of what happens to them. Do the babies die? The babies do not die. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tragic tale. Great for someone who's just had surgery. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Good questions. Should we move on to Supreme Court inductions, Kristen? I think we shall. Okay. Um, I certainly have that pulled up. Good God. <laughs> I've been doing nothing over here. And we are doing people's names and their favorite books. And we will change the topic up eventually when Someday. I feel like it. <laughs> Camille Peters. The Virgin of the Small Plains by Nancy Picard. Tamara. The Book Thief. Oh, I didn't say her last name. Oh. Tamio Cassio. No, Tamio Cosio. No, it's Tamara. What's Tamio? Whose first name is Tamio? What was the best was that you said it with so much confidence? Come on, you there last name. Tamara Cosio. The book thief. Amy. The Bible. Emma Sykes. The Dog Encyclopedia. Amanda Grice. American Gods. Rachel Coro. Gideon the Ninth. Amanda Lehu. Member of the Family, Diane Lake's Story of Living with the Manson Family. Ooh, I have not read that. Elizabeth Wright. The Throne of Glass series. Marlena De Silva. The Harry Potter series. Travona Gilbert. Anything by James Patterson. Deanne Waddell. Furiously Happy. Ellie Cullum. Heart Song. Kristen Learned. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Angela Faber. The Stephanie Plum Series. Kayla Carmichael. The Great Gatsby. Dolly Bolivar. Gone with the Wind. Welcome, Welcome 
to the Supreme Court. Thank you guys for all of your support. We appreciate it so much. Um, thank you, Casey, yeah. for joining us. Yeah, that was fun. Yes. I'm glad I got to come fun. This was fun. If you guys are looking for other ways to support us, please. Oh my gosh, what if people like you better than they like my dad? That'd I don't be wonderful. Think that's gonna happen. Oh my god, it'd be so great if finally had some competition. Daryl just has some magic there is, about there's, him. There's, there's just deep yes. magic. Okay, well now I've made this even worse. <laughs> hey guys, find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit. Patreon. Um, please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Then be sure to join us next week when we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from the documentary Six Locked Doors, The Legacy of Coconut Grove, bostonfirehistory.org, the article The Coconut Grove Inferno by Jack Thomas for the Boston Globe, and newspapers.com. And Casey got her info from... Okay, I got my information from Murderpedia.org, an article written by Marilyn Barsley for the Crime Library called Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, and an episode of the HBO show Autopsy called Autopsy 8 Dead Giveaway. For a full list of our sources, visit LGTCpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. 